I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Superman special, the Failed Critics Podcast, culminating with our review of the new release, Man of Steel. Um, but first of all, we've got much more to come, including a what we've been watching, um, which is really just a, 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 re- a recap, roundup, um, review session, um, brown nosing of the Superman <laughs> film previously. And some animated stuff. That yeah, maybe. Who knows? Um, <laughs> and then following that, we have got Triple Bill, where we'll be going through our favourite films of some of the main actors in this um, in this film, obviously followed by a main review of Man of Steel and a spoiler alert. Um, I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. And Owen Hughes. Hello. Jerry McCauley, conspicuous in his absence, uh, in a phone box somewhere, I believe, not getting changed, <laughs> looking at some of the funny phone numbers you get in there from time to time. Yeah, ah, that's the type of man he is. We, we've, never, we, we've never seen Jerry or Superman in the same place before. No, that's true. No, how, um, how many people that, can Jerry be? <laughs> yeah, I know. So Jerry is Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. And yeah. potentially, he wishes he was Henry Cavill. Cavill. How do you say it? Has anyone heard? I've only ever seen it written yeah, down. Yeah, same. Cavill, I think. <laughs> but yeah, poor Jerry. We miss you, Jerry. Um, but yes, uh, he's off saving the world, bless him. Yeah, we won't go into the real reasons because it's just too pathetic. Oh, we've... With great power comes great responsibility. That's a different superhero. That's, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, the wrong one, but the, still. It's still out, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, um, where do we want to start, then? I think James is going to kick us off with um, with this look at the previous Superman films. Well, yeah, um, I thought because I'll be honest, obviously, usually this is the point of the podcast, we do what we've been watching, and I've managed to watch most of the Superman films this week, but I know Owen's watched them quite recently, and Steve, I don't know how many of these you have actually watched, but I suppose we'll we'll see. I've seen 
I've seen them all, but only cool. Superman Returned outside of childhood, probably. I didn't have time. Right, okay. But they weren't, they weren't exactly easy to source without me spending money either, so... No, no, no. A couple of them are on Netflix. Uh, a couple of them I had to kind of track down. And yeah, it kind of different country Netflix. Um, ah. Superman, Superman Two is, but uh, they've been on TV yeah, all week as well. They've yeah. been on TV a little bit. It, uh, in fact, I believe it was on uh, best film of the day last Saturday. Um, you could have watched Superman and Superman Two on Five USA, I think it was. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously before we go, Superman. Before we go any further into Superman, yes. actually. Uh, somebody took up my advice to, well, actually ignored my advice of not to watch Cutthroat Island and watch Cutthroat Island, and, oh, yeah. and they agreed. Yeah, yeah, what a surprise <laughs> that they also yeah. thought it was an absolutely terrible film. I've got it on, I got it recorded, I recorded it that week, I've still just well, not been able to bring myself to watch it. Please, please do. Um, I will, I can't wait to report Super- back to you, Steve. Superman, anyway. So yeah, Superman, um, yeah, the, he was, the superhero created by Jerry Siegel and uh, artist Joe Shuster in 1933. Um, he, he was a huge success even then. <laughs> and, and he's arguably the most famous superhero in the world. A huge crossover appeal. He's appeared in comic books on radio and television. For famously, the, the Dean Cain starring Adventures of Superman and Lois Lane. Um, and video games. But obviously, it's a film podcast, so we're going to have a look through the cinematic history of Kal-El, The Last Son of Krypton. Um, he first appeared on the big screen, I didn't realise this when I was doing the research, in a, a series of serials, uh, the first of which was a 15-episode arc simply called Superman, uh, and that was in the 40s. But in 1951, George Reeves uh, was the first actor to become a household name playing the Man of Steel, and he appeared as Superman in Superman and the Mole Men, which... Sounds awesome. I, I, uh, I, I actually own that. Would you believe? Really? Oh, yeah. Is it any good? Um, I never actually watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it's part of a box set of Superman films I've got. Oh, okay. All oh, right. Oh, right. I will report I'd, back I'd at some point. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear what you think of it. Obviously, um, I think what's uh great about um that period that, that that's a great period. And uh, have you have you seen Hollywoodland? The it's the Ben Affleck film where he plays George Reeves. It was basically the film that k- killed Ben Affleck's career for a little bit because it was a big flop. But he played George Reeves, um, and it was the story of the man who played Superman. It's a very very interesting film. Um, but we didn't really get the full cinematic treatment of Superman until 1978. Uh, the Salkin family, her father and son, they bought the rights, hugely determined to have a hit, and they. And kind of, you look back now and go, this is just the most bizarre way to put together a film. And they just went out and they hired the writer of The Godfather to write the screenplay. So that's Mario Puzo. They paid a record $3.7 million up front to Marlon Brando, uh, including, I think, then over 10% of the box office mm. receipts as well. Ridiculous payday to play Jor-El. Um And obviously... And, uh, that... <laughs> Sorry, so he Steve. You know, he doesn't have the... The most massive part in the film either, does he? <laughs> he spent two weeks on set um, and refused to read his script, refused to learn his lines. And the moment in Superman when he's putting uh, Kal-El into the, the capsule, he's reading the lines off the back of his nappy, essentially. 
the the lines were written on the back of the kid's nappy. That yeah, you know, it's such a lazy bastard. <laughs> um, and inter- a load of big names were linked with the role of Superman. Uh, Robert Redford was one. Um, apparently, Sylvester Stallone was up for it after you know, kind of building on the success of Rocky. But uh, allegedly, Marlon Brando vetoed him having the role because he didn't like the fact that Sylvester Stallone was essentially doing a Marlon Brando impression in his acting career. Um, so there was a lot of weird stuff going on there and they ended up casting Christopher Reeve who was an actor with one credit to his name. It was the ultimate almost um, unknown. And yeah, I think what's great about Superman is Christopher Reeve genuinely embodies that character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is, you know, the, when you think of Superman, you don't think of, you know, Dean Kane or, <laughs> or you know, George Reeves. <laughs> Maybe Steve <laughs> But I think to most people, it is George Reeves, and he's um, he's just that character, isn't he? Mm. There's no yeah. one else you can imagine, uh, well, playing there that is... kind of Superman. Anyway. Exactly, there's a great innocence to it. He, he really do- He's got that, almost that otherworldly... Um, aura about him in that film and you've even got that and uh, yeah, there, a lot of people argue over whether or not Superman is a kind of Christian allegory a messiah type storyline but he does have that um, he does have that side that Jesus side of him almost that, that he has come from above to look after mankind but what I also really really like about Superman the movie is his, his Clark Kent um, as the bumbling, you know, kind of socially awkward reporter is actually brilliant, brilliantly realised as well. And um, apparently, he based that on uh, Cary Grant. That's him doing a Cary Grant impression. Uh, and when you when you watch it, knowing that, you think actually that's that's really, really good. Cary Grant in um, uh, Bringing Up Baby. That that's where he kind of developed that persona. That's, that's quite uh, hard to put off for somebody who. Isn't wasn't really you know six foot four and obviously quite mm. built to be playing Superman, and it's quite difficult to be able to pull off some kind of bumbling, um, not oaf, but like some you know skinny bumbling geek yep. journalist kind of person when you're six foot four and definitely built yeah and your alter ego Superman yeah. And it is really good because obviously, you know, in pop culture terms, we there's the the big joke that it's actually a re- isn't that a really pathetic disguise? You know, oh look, he puts on a pair of glasses and no one recognises it's Superman. But it, he does, he definitely does do more than that. He is a completely different character, um, and I, I think that's 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 a really really important thing. What was also great is it, it's a, it's a proper storyline as well, um, and that's. I think you have to give credit to Gene Hackman for Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor is a great um, classic movie villain as well. Yeah, always just classic villain anyway. And I think part of what makes Lex Luthor work so well is, um, you know, kind of like how with all good superheroes, their arch enemy is their, it's the same kind of character, but with everything kind of flipped around, isn't it? So he's, yeah. he's he thinks he's better... Well, you know, Superman doesn't think he's better than the human race, but he is better mm. than the human race. And then you've yeah. got Lex Luthor, who thinks he should be the the, the Superman, the Ubermensch, you know, if you like. And yeah. That's what he considers himself to be. And a, so lot of, exactly. a lot of arch enemies in comic books. I mean, there's, there's some of them that are just mental, like the Joker. There's some of them who seem to think that they're 
when you look at what they're doing, their intentions are actually good. They're just going about it in completely the wrong way. Mm. And, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, um, Raj Agul and I suppose Lex mm. Luthor as well. They're going about things in the wrong way, but their intentions, when you get right down to it, are actually, re- you know, good intentions, but just, yeah, executed poorly. I, I, although I would say, I think his, it, in the uh, the first film, he does plan to plunge all of California <laughs> into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all pure. And what I love actually about Lex Luthor as a as a character and as a villain is it's such a mundane obsession. He's just obsessed with land. Mm. He, he he's got a massive real estate obsession. And what I love about that actually is it's. It's it's a genuine attack on kind of 80s consumerism, uh, Donald Trump style figure. The fact that they went, okay, what's people who you know real estate people, people who just make money out of land, they're evil. Yeah, that that's the impression it gives you, and I I love that. There is he's got a really kind of bizarre, overcomplicated, maniacal way. But ultimately, all he wants to do is become a a, a super landlord, and it's just, and, and I love that mundanity and that duality um, that Lex Luthor has, and I think Gene Gene Hackman does be, bring a brilliant um, side to that. And um, what what I found really interesting when I was looking into it, apparently he refused to be shaved bald yeah. or wear a skull cap for those. So all of those different hairstyles are just his hair. <laughs> having been styled differently and then they just put wigs around so you think they're all wigs but they're all they're all his hair apart from the very last shot where I think they finally did persuade him to wear a skull cap um now I you know again at the time I used to watch these films loads when I was younger they're on TV all the time but I did I it's only in the last few years I've realized that um the director Richard Donner was making Superman 1 and Superman 2 the idea would make them both Back to back, kind of in the way that's become the fashion these days. The way, you know, mm. Peter Jackson, when he decided to just make all three Lord of the Rings films and release them one after the other, that people went, oh my god, that's a new different. But Richard Donner was doing that back in the late seventies. Um, but so the plan was to do it at the same time, which is why at the very beginning of Superman one, which again when I rewatched it, I'd forgotten about this. You get um, uh, uh, General Zod being sentenced to the phantom zone right at the beginning of the film and then that's it and and I, that really threw me because I, I always kind of connect general zod with superman 2 which is obviously the sequel that came but richard donner was fired well he fell out with the salkins and he was fired um and so they got richard lester in and it does superman 2 is a very different film wouldn't you say owen yeah it is which is partly because he you know, it was Richard Donner who filmed about 70% mm. of Superman 2. He had about 70% of the footage left. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Lester came in and just basically reshot about, I think it was, was it about 60% of that 70 I think, yeah, about 30% of the footage left in Superman 2 was Donner's yeah, footage. Right. But for Richard, yeah, that's it, for Richard Lester to get an official director's credit, he had to have filmed over 50% yeah. of it due to director's guild rules. So he actually reshot a load of scenes, but Gene Hackman refused to work with him, so he couldn't reshoot anything mm. with Gene Hackman, which means all the Lex Luthor stuff there is Richard Donner. And it, it's an odd film, isn't it, Superman 2? And you can tell it's been stitched together, I think, by two completely different creative minds, because some bits of it work really well, um, and some of it, there's there's a the scene in Metropolis where Superman is fighting Zod, and um, 
Zod uses uh, kind of super breath, mm. uh, and an ice cream blows onto someone's face, and someone's struggling to hold onto their hat. And yeah, going backwards on roller like skates and stuff. Like yeah, that. and it's just like, oh no, that it just felt really Benny Hill in places. Yes, it does. Um, uh, uh, and what had originally happened is the ending of Superman One, where Superman. I know we complain about bad science <laughs> in films. I know I moaned about the Total Recall. Uh, remake last year and I'm probably going to moan about some of the science and plot holes in Man of Steel later on because it seems that you know I moaned about it in Dark Knight Rises there are plot holes but do you know what flying the world backwards to turn back time is one of the most just bizarre ideas to end the possible? no one's tried it uh, it's very true. Yeah, that, that, that is true I'm, I, I trust that the science <laughs> would say that's not right there is <laughs> a theory though there is a theory it, about, you know, I'm not going to go massively okay. into it, but it's one of Stephen Hawking's theories that if you go yeah. at near the travel, uh, near the speed of light as you fly around the world, yeah. Um, yeah, if you run along a train, you know, that means that you're going faster than the speed of light, which is theoretically impossible, so time will yeah. move differently. That's basically what I think they would... <laughs> yeah, a similar strand and the of fact ideas. that yeah, I can see where it came this, from. This is this is where I need to get in touch with a scientist to start up my series of articles, the science behind sci-fi. But if you're a scientist, yeah. can you email me, please? And then we can yeah, no, we'd we'd yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but that was meant to be the ending of Superman two, and they ditched it and put it at the end of uh, Superman one instead. But um, what I will say is, um, this week for the first time, I watched the eventually in two thousand and six fan pressure meant that Richard Donner was able to finally do his cut of Superman 2. And he did it from, like Owen says, he'd filmed 70% of the film already, um, and the other 30% he filled up with either uh, some of Richard Lester's shots, but not many, um, but they got some test shoot, uh, test uh, screening, uh, test shoots, and things like that. So instead of, for example, Lois Lane tricking Superman to put his hand in a, uh, Clark Kent to put his hand in a fire, which is a bit rubbish, in Donna's cut, she actually shoots him with blanks and kind of he reveals himself then. Um, now, the Richard Donner cut is actually a really good film and it's probably my favourite Superman film. And I'd argue, now, I think it's right up there with my favourite comic book adaptations full stop yep absolutely 100 percent agree <laughs> i know we won't agree on much for the rest of the podcast but it's but good that we've got this little we've section got this here, bit yeah. here yeah definitely i think it's it just it, it, dark knight rises just edged it out of my top five mm. last year okay yeah but up until then yeah the richard donner cut was one of my favorites and um everything you said about it's right it's it it feels more like a proper sequel to superman mm-hmm. doesn't it yeah, I mean, it's yeah, so, definitely. It's still kind of, still kind of got that that humour to it, that childishness mm. about parts of it and stuff. But it's much more serious. Zod, in particular, I think, is made to feel a bit more menacing than he is yeah. in the original. In Le- well, the original in Lester's version. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a great film. Zod famously, yeah, I, I, Zod is Zod in that film is how I remember Superman from my youth actually. Uh, and, and I think all four films I remember bits of, but it's it's the kind of Duran Duran backing singers. <laughs> um, but Terence Stamp is he he is properly just creepy and unnerving in that film because what I like is he he's can't, he doesn't shout at any point. It's a, it's a it's a very interesting take on the maniacal egomaniacal villain. Um, 
and and yeah, Superman Two is is a great film, and the Richard Donner cut. Search it out because it is fantastic. The other thing they were able to do as well for the Richard Donner cut is they were able to get the issues sorted out with Marlon Brando's estate, which meant that in Richard Lester's original version, all of a sudden Superman's mum's talking to him at the Fortress of Solitude. Whereas for this, they've been able to reuse Marlon Brando's footage, which is what they originally mm-hmm. wanted to do. So you do get that. It is definitely the more complete film, and it, it really fits in nicely with uh, Superman 1, although it does mean they use the same trick at the end of each film. Yeah. Um, it's a bit weird. It just shows uh, though what fan pressure can do because that only came yeah. about because fans basically kept forcing yeah. <laughs> Donna to go back and find all the footage and pull it together. That's it. Yeah, and for years he said he he, he was past that, yeah. but eventually they managed to to get him to do that, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, fol- so following Superman two, which was another success, uh, Superman three followed. Ha- uh, Gene Hackman refused to return as Lex Luthor, so Warner Brothers developed a f- plot f- featuring Richard Pryor as an easily manipulated programmer. Richard Lester returned to direct this as well, um, and he creates an artificial form of Crips Knight that creates a good and bad Superman. Now, I do know that um, Matt Lamborn of our parish recently chose this for his one of his top five films from 1983. Um, what I would say, though, uh, I can't believe there aren't this. I can't believe he put it in Italy. It's not a good film at all. And I'm sure it was. Um, I'm sure it's childhood nostalgia which drove that choice. Because if you look at it objectively, um, the series continues a slide into Benny Hill-esque humour, um, outright slapstick at times, and isn't even the best use of Richard Pryor, who, with the right material, is a fantastic comic actor. But this film just felt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the. Oh, sorry, Steve. Can this seemed like they were trying to make it a Richard Pryor film more than a Superman yes. film? Yes, yeah, definitely. And actually, I think because I feel really sorry for Christopher Reeve because it seems that pretty much every film he did as Superman, apart from the last one, um, people were always billed above him. Mm. You know, in in the first film, it was Gene Hackman. Marlon Brando in Superman. <laughs> it's like, well, hang on, that's a bit of. But you can understand it. He was he was an unknown. But even as it got through, they were still. He still didn't get the credit he deserved. I think, and there was always this. You know, they always tried to get big names to star alongside him, and they seemed to get a lot more of the attention. Yeah, definitely, and um, that is basically why I think Richard Pryor was brought into this to try and because mm. I don't think they even after the first two films and how successful they were, I still think they just kind of thought, are people going to come and see this just because it's mm. Superman? Yeah, um, and they yeah. got sort of who was flavour of the month at the time, Richard Pryor, into it, and you know he I think he, he does put in a decent performance. Oh yeah, yeah, he he. he puts in the best performance he can under the circumstances, I think. Yeah. It's just, you know, if you compare it with his performance in something like Brewster's Millions, mm. and it's like, that that's a t- yeah, that's someone who has got a script moulded around him and playing to all of his strengths, whereas I do think Superman 3 is a bit, let's throw a funny guy in there just, and hope that he's funny. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a, a side story, doesn't it? I think because yeah. the first two are like two parts of the same story, and this doesn't even have like Lois in it. Doesn't go on vacation yeah. or something. And that's it, because she also fell out with the producers because she backed Richard Donner yeah. in the big fight. So basically, they've got her in for about five minutes towards the end of Superman three. I think it is. You know, Hackman didn't come back. This was the result of a lot of people um, putting their foot down over the fact that Richard Donner had been fired, basically. Mm. 
Um, Although, again, Christopher Reeve's performance as good and bad Superman <laughs> shows some great duality. And it, he does really, really well with the, uh, the material. And it, it does make me think, if he hadn't been so synonymous with the role... What would he have gone on to do as an actor? You know, he he wouldn't. He probably wouldn't have made it hugely. Uh, if he, he may never have been discovered if it wasn't for Superman. But it does make you think: what would have happened if he had the opportunity to go on and try and pursue a career as a more serious actor? Because he he definitely had a lot of range. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It shows. And I mean, as Steve said earlier as well, just the the not just the duality, I suppose, of mm. playing the good and the bad Superman, but yeah. playing Clark Kent and Superman mm. equally well. Yeah. And believable. Yeah. That's that's part yeah. of his strength. So I mean, he definitely could have had a. Uh, I don't want to say better career because that just mm. kind of it makes yeah, it seem no. like he didn't have a good career. When I think he he no. did, given that he played Superman successfully in four films. Well, yeah, it depends what you think of the last film. Um, yeah, but, it's, but it, it's more than most people get a chance to do in their lives. Exactly, no, I know what yeah. you mean. It, but it would have been interesting to see maybe what he could have done, what he could have matured into as an that's actor. That's right. Yeah. Um, Sadly, he returned for Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Um, <laughs> well, uh, basically, apparently, he signed on because it was about nuclear weapons and he did have an interest in the discussion around the future of nuclear weapons. Um, but as soon as he signed on, the budget got slashed from $35 million to $15 million. Loads of heavy editing um, took its toll on the film. It's barely over 90 minutes. Um, it's a disaster of a film. And it's, I looked it up on IMDb and it's got a rating of, I think, 3.6, which is really quite rare for a mainstream film on IMDb. But you can't argue it doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I think I gave it a 3.5 when I rated it. So that's about <laughs> in keeping with the general consensus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one to talk about. It's one of these, I think there are elements to it that I want to like and I want to hold mm. on to them and think this is this is this could have been a good film and mm. it, it's it's not its own fault that it ended up being so bad but then I, I feel like I'm just making excuses and trying to I think it's I think it's a classic example of when studio over involvement can just comp- it could have it could have been a half decent film. I don't think it was ever going to be amazing, you know, unless. Uh, but it, I reckon it could have been a half decent film. And actually, one of the. It has got one of those great moments of, you know, Superman being vulnerable, um, which you don't get very often. Mm. Uh, and when you do see it, uh, that, that's. Because he needs that vulnerability, because he is essentially a god, and you need to find new and different ways of potentially killing him uh so it did i thought it it handled that tiny bit well but the rest of it's pretty disastrous and that's kind of why uh it the whole um superman franchise went on hiatus warner brothers bought the rights back from the salkins and then in the early 90s the um, number of aborted attempts to resurrect the franchise superman reborn was the first script developed in that period which was inspired by the classic Death of Superman comic book storyline. Oh, and have you read Death of Superman? Uh, no, because it's oh. enormous, and I don't think you can really oh, okay. read Death of Superman without reading the the there's three parts to that. Yeah, right. well, it's, right. yeah, there's three parts to it. It's kind of difficult to to just jump into that point. Uh, okay, okay, that's, that's good for those people like me who are complete comic book noobs. So that's good. I won't start on that one yet. Then um, 
but Kevin Smith publicly lambasted the script at the time, and uh, Warner's panicked, thinking that Smith spoke for all comic book fans, basically. Mm. Um, and so they asked him to rewrite the script with three caveats, and it's really interesting. Um, the producer at the time, John Peters, he wanted Superman to wear an all-black suit... Uh, he didn't want to see him fly because he thought he looked like a Boy Scout. What he wanted was a kind of blur with a sonic boom. And um, he wanted Superman at the end to fight a gigantic mechanical spider. Now, where do you think that mechanical spider actually ended up, Steve? You know this. <laughs> do I? Yeah. Which, 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 no, which terrible films that ends with a massive gigantic mechanical spider? Wiki wiki wah wiki wiki wah wah West Jim West yes um, basically John Peters I've heard a story John Peters bought the rights for this giant mechanical spider so he bought the art he did something he'd heavily invested in the gigantic mechanical spider and he was determined <laughs> to fit it into any film he could try and fit it into and it ended up in Wild Wild West but originally it was meant to be in a Superman Reborn um, basically Never Smith in Hollywood again. <laughs> No, exactly. <laughs> um, Smith did rewrite uh, the script. It became Superman Lives, but um, the studio and Kevin Smith had a very testy relationship. Um, uh, the studio, uh, Kevin Smith had written in the character, classic character of Brainiac, um, and the studio insisted he have a fight with Superman's guards at the, for- uh, the Fortress of Solitude. Kevin Smith did then have to argue that why would Superman need guards? Um, he's Superman and he also said it's called the Fortress of Solitude for a reason Um, and apparently they also argued that Brainiac should fight a polar bear but only one as we don't want Peter on our asses so you could just see the kind of environment that these people are having to work in getting a fight with a polar bear (laughs) this is the same guy who wanted the mechanical spider it's like um like in football, one of those owners who demands to like pick the team or coach the team. Or picks Joe Kinnear as um, director. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, we're basically dealing with the Mike Ashley of um, film producers here. Um, in response, Smith resorted to calling them a bunch of anxious motherfuckers in an interview. And so he... Well, he wasn't sacked at that point. He was basically sacked because Warner Brothers hired Tim Burton to direct paid him $5 million, regardless of whether or not the film got made, and hired Nick Cage to play Superman, and paid him $20 million, regardless of whether or not the film got made. That's nice work if you can get it, isn't it? I can't see him as Superman. He just doesn't seem to have the right Well, look. you can see an image of him in a costume mm. online. Yes. Yeah. I would recommend Googling that. Yeah, is that the one with the weird long hair? The and weird long hair and the very shiny suit. Yeah, it's... Um... It's, it's weird. You've got to remember... Cause Nick Cage was in the midst of that that brilliant period of his career where he did The Rock, Con Air, and um, Face Off. So he was he was this new action hero, um, and but also he had a, a kind of acting legitimacy with his uh, Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. Um, Burton didn't like the Smith script, um, and Tim Burton has since stated that he would never even read a comic book. Um, which I think Kevin Smith replied and said, well, that explains Batman. Mm. But, you know, um, uh, yeah, th- those two don't get on very well. Um, but, yeah, Smith got fired. and But the proposed film never made it into production, so everyone seemed to get paid, and there was no film at the end of it. And the last attempt before we got on to Superman Returns was uh, it went under the working title of Superman Flyby, which, great, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and it was due to be directed by McGee, 
So you can just imagine... It, it, are you getting excited about the idea of this Superman film, Steve? Sorry? <laughs> Steve's nodded off. <laughs> Superman film directed by McGee called Superman Flyby. Does that float your boat? Who the fuck's McGee? He's the guy who did Charlie's, Charlie's Angels oh, and Charlie's Angels 2 Full Throttle. And he did This Means War as well. So, you know, we're talking top quality directing. Um, had a script from J.J. Abrams. Um, and the thing, J.J. Abrams' script at the time apparently ripped up huge tracks of Superman lore. Included Krypton not being destroyed, uh, Kal-El's parents still being alive, and Lex Luthor secretly being from Krypton himself. Probably an alternate timeline. Sounds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and flashbacks and exactly so just a word of warning those of you who think that Star Wars is safe in J.J. Abrams hands just just you know take, just just be careful um, eventually though Warner Brothers fan Superman project they're willing to back and greenlit Brian Singer's vision of a soft sequel to Richard Donner's Superman 1 and 2 um, so yeah that, that gave us Superman Returns uh, which I watched last night for the first time and it's not as bad as everyone told me it was. Uh, I know this is where me and Owen start to disagree tonight. Um, what, I, what I do want to just quickly point out is it's, it's become a bit of a byword for flop and things like that. But actually, it did pretty well in terms of reviews of, with the critics. It also made $400 million that year and was the ninth highest grossing film, uh, which took in more than double its budget. So it wasn't it wasn't a failure. Um, it seems to me history's been rewritten a little bit to suggest that it was a failure. Um, I can see why some people wouldn't necessarily like it. There were it's a little bit camp. It's a little bit tied to. to I think it is tied too much to um, what everyone sees as being a Superman story, and it, it does kind of walk in Richard Donner's footsteps a little too closely, I think. But I quite enjoyed the fact that you. You know, when Superman, there's a great opening quite near the beginning. Superman saves uh, a plane with Lois Lane on it. And it's actually a brilliant set piece. Uh, it's a great superhero set piece with a nice payoff, and you even get just that that hint of the John Williams Superman march as well. And that that little bit there just made me feel like this was working. I thought Kevin Spacey was a great Lex Luthor, uh, and there was and it had that moment of Superman being vulnerable, which for me worked really well in the film. This is where Owen steps in and tells me I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't got a, everything you just <laughs> said. I uh, have agreed with so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the, up to that bit where it's got the plane and he sort of Lois is on the plane. That point is where it starts to go downhill after that. I just think. <laughs> There's about, the film is about an hour too long. Normally, you can come out with films and say, oh, yeah. you know, it, it, they could have lost 10 minutes here, or it could have been sort of 20 minutes shorter if they cut yeah. out this nonsense. With this film, I just felt like it went on for a whole 60 minutes too long. Yeah. And it, it was 60 minutes of nothing that improved the film, except to drag it out for even longer because it's a blockbuster. And I just yeah. think it made the whole film just so empty and hollow. And it you know, we can criticize Superman 4 and Superman 3 or we want Superman 2 mm. even. At least they had like a bit of heart to it. And there was there was some semblance of you got that this was, um, you know, a, not a man, but a, a Kryptonian who's got these issues with his family and, you know, his identity and stuff. And this, it just felt really just 
like it, they didn't understand Superman. And I think no, no, I'm not got a problem with Brandon Roth or Roth mm. Roth or how you pronounce his name. Ruth, Ruth I don't know, yeah, yeah. Him, yeah. Anyway, because I thought he did a really good Christopher Reeves impression. That's yeah, he did do a very good Christopher Reeves impression. And you're exactly right. It was it was totally unoriginal. Um, it wasn't breaking any new ground. It wasn't doing anything new, apart from uh, apart from a bizarre plot with um, uh, Lois Lane's child. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it too, but that was. I, I didn't like no, that element no, of it. No. Um, uh, but, I, you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I I liked enough of it for me to go, I didn't feel that was a complete waste of my time. Um, there was definitely 20 minutes at the end which could have just gone, uh, you know, mm. definitely. And you're right, you know, and there are other areas where it could have been tightened up and been a little bit less flabby. And, you know, it is nearly two and a half hours long. There's no way it deserves to be two and a half hours long. Um but I was surprised, I think, because you know, because I, in my head, it had been this huge flop, and actually it was all right. I thought it was all right. I didn't mind it, but but it, it's definitely not for everyone. And I know uh, on Twitter a few people tonight said that it was bad, and a few people said backed me up and said no, no, it's all right. So it, it's one of those divisive films, I think. But that kind of then um, a sequel to that eventually never got greenlit, and we ended up. In the position we're in now, where we've got Man of Steel, and I think that ties up that little section nicely, Steve. <laughs> yeah, um, unless anyone wants to throw a quick mention to something like Smallville or any animated. Series. Do you know what? Quickly, I've never seen. I've never seen Smallville. No, I never really. I saw. I, never I watched. Took my no, I watched the first four or five seasons of it. It yeah. is just one long teen angst drama. <laughs> that's what I thought. It looked a bit like Dawson's Creek yeah, superpowers, and I, I'm not sure that's what I wanted. No, that's pretty much what it is. You keep, it, every so often, it teases that it might get better, and it, yeah. it sort of it, it brings into it the expanded universe, and you think, oh my god, that's 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 mm. Flash, that's Barry Allen, and you think, oh, that, that's Wally West, and, st- and so on, and you think it could mm. get bigger and better, and then it never really does. It, it all just becomes a story about. One whiny kid and the girl that he wants and never gets. Right, and that's yeah, Smallville. Um, in a nutshell. I, I thanks. That's <laughs> awesome. That's brilliant. So I don't have to go near that now. That's good. I did start watching before this podcast. I didn't have time to finish it. Um, the uh, DC animated standalone All Star Superman. Um, but I also I'd started watching it and then on Owen's advice, not. Um, I've downloaded the first episode um, of on Cosmicsology um, or Comicsology, sorry, uh, of the actual uh, comic yes, series because it's twelve it's twelve issues, so that's going to be less than a tenner. Uh, so I'm go- I'm going to actually just sit down and properly read that instead. Tw- so, twelve issues, um, yeah. It's a self-contained story, and it will be the best Superman comic you ever read. Brilliant. Well, I've, I've already read um, uh, issue one, and I really enjoyed Good. that. So I'm, I'm going to push on with that. Um, so uh, yeah, I was talking to him on Twitter, and he said, uh, "If you're going to read a comic uh, book story of Superman, read All Star Superman." Yes. So uh, I will throw in a couple of other mentions as well, just very, mm. very briefly. Uh, Mark Miller, the guy who wrote um, Kickass and uh, he's done Wanted and lots of other films, mm-hmm. uh, he did a story called Superman Red Sun which is a what-if story where basically instead of landing in America, Superman's uh, rocket landed in Soviet Russia 
and he grows up as a Russian. Okay. Very good. It's um, yeah. I mean, it's good. It's typical Mark Miller in that you can see it's written and it's it's basically like a, a film put into a comic book. Yeah. But it's very good. Uh, and my one of my other favourite Superman comics is called Superman for All Seasons, which is by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, who are the two people who did. Um, uh, a lot of Batman stories, actually. They did a few Batman stories. So they did uh, they did Haunted Night and Dark Victory, which are two little ones. But the, they did the big one, which is called Long Halloween, which is a favourite of those Batman. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've read that, actually. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks. Oh, yeah. Oh, it just, just occurred to me. One more. <laughs> yep. I know it's a film podcast. Richard Donner did actually write a Superman comic as well with Jeff oh. Johns called Last Son, which is about actually him having a son. Superman okay. So, yeah, it's all right. It's not brilliant, but it's all right. Okay. But, so, uh, yeah, up next, we have got our um, triple bill of um, our favourite films the main actors from this film have been in previously. So, welcome back uh, to the triple bill segment of this Superman special now. Um,. Well, should we do Jerry's first as he's not here? Jerry had yeah. Kevin Costner, who played um, Clark Kent's dad in this film. Jonathan Kent, yes. Um, so, yes, which three films did he pick? Waterworld? No. <laughs> no. I'm Can't believe there's no... No, no The Postman? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, none, of, none of his apocalyptic um, disaster films got no. in there. I'm shocked. More disappointed than shocked, but... Yeah, uh, what did, what did he pick? Um, he went for uh, the Untouchables, which I think is is one of Costner's finest uh, works. Field of Dreams, um, if you build it, they will come. Uh, great little you know, father son baseball movie, and um, I've lost the other one. Someone else got it. Oh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, of course. Um, which I was talking to someone about the other day, and they said that it wasn't actually a very good film. Was that even, was that on our podcast actually? I can't remember now. Mm. Oh, I can't either. But I, I love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and yeah, he's he, yeah, he's fun in that. He, he's completely overshadowed by uh, by uh, your man Hans Gruber uh, as the sheriff of Nottingham. But you know, yeah, fair play. Okay, um, thanks for that, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had Russell Crowe, um, and. I realised that despite him doing lots of films, I've not actually seen that many. And I was tempted to go for the short-lived documentary Fighting Around the World, but I didn't <laughs> despite the catchy theme tune and the... Yeah, and such a great theme tune. And the great subject matter. Yes. Uh, he does love a fight, doesn't he? Yeah. It's a proper man. I want to be his mate. Just, <laughs> I, I, reckon, I reckon if he likes you... It would be brilliant. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go yeah. on a night out with him if he likes you. If he doesn't, it, it would be the worst night <laughs> ever. He, he strikes me. He reminds me of Roy Keane, for example. Yeah. He's that. Yeah. He's got that type of person. You know, he's the best fucking actor in the world. Uh, no, I was yeah. read about him that he he went and done sort of on Sky Sports, done Ashes commentary for the second test once. Just yeah, and, and that's what I mean. I think I think if he's in the right mood, he'd be a great laugh. Um, but then he probably just put your head through a door or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's my first pick. This is in reverse order, actually, in in terms of what I actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, first pick is American Gangster, where he plays 
the detective Richie Roberts. This film's based on a, a true story, but how much of it is actually based on a true story is un, is you know come under a bit of scrutiny. But he's a detective who tries to take down Denzel Washington's Frank Lucas, who is a gangster, basically. Um, you know, basically, uh, who is importing heroin and dealing heroin and causing lots of problems, and also know, and this gangster also knows pretty much every bent cop in, what is it, New York? I think it's New York anyway. Um, yeah, it's New York. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like American Gangster. I didn't like it quite as much as I thought I would. I got really excited about it. Oh, I thought I'd um, it more, but it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely entertaining. Um, both uh, Denzel and Russell Crowe put in good performances, and you know, as well as some of the other actors as well. But those two are central characters, and basically, you know, antagonists of each other. Um, mm. to- it's kind of like Heat in the seventies, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Is it a Michael Mann film as well? Uh-huh. American Gangster. I can't remember. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott. Oh, it's Ridley Scott, of course it is. Yeah, no, he um, Michael Mann did Public Enemies, didn't he? That, yeah. Sorry, I'll shut up. I don't know, Ridley and Russell, they're good mates. Uh, they're, yeah, they're good mates. Yeah, he's done loads of his stuff, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, second choice for me was um, A Beautiful Mind. Um, I can't remember. I've seen it a couple of times, but a long time ago now, so they'll have to forgive me for not being able to remember too much about it, but I do remember it. Me watching it thinking this isn't the kind of film that I'd really like, but actually ended up really liking it. It's got Paul Bettany in. I know that. I've still not seen it, actually. Um, It's it's one of those I need to. I've not seen it either, but it actually ties into one of my films a little bit later. So, It's directed by Ron Howard. It's another one that's based on a a, a true story, based on a a man called John Nash, um, who is... A brilliant mathematician, but he's also um, got various mental problems. Kind of imagines people as existing when they don't. And um, but yeah, really good performance from Crow. But like I can't remember too much about it, unfortunately. Just that I really enjoyed it, and um, <laughs> especially not being the kind of film that I typically enjoy. Um, obviously, I think everyone can guess the first choice in Russell Crow films of mine. I wonder what that is. Anyone want to stop? Maximus. <laughs> yeah, Gladiator, isn't it? Father, father to a murdered wife. Yeah. Uh, no, not father Jerry to here. a murdered this wife. Is, That'd be a bit, yeah. This is Jerry's yeah. film, isn't it? This is what he loves, yeah. yeah. Great film. Yeah, Gladiator, where he plays um, a general who becomes a slave, who becomes a gladiator. Maximus Decimus Meridius. Again, I've not seen this film for a long time. I don't know why. I've not seen it for ages. It's the first DVD I ever bought, and I've not seen it for ages. I, I keep nearly watching it, but it is nearly three hours long, isn't it? And is it also Oliver Reed's last film as well? Yeah, because I had to digitally stitch his head yeah, on at so. points and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it's it's it isn't that's the first isn't that the first film that uh, Ridley Scott and Russell Crowe did? I think so. Yeah, and then kind of after that they. Uh, um, there's kind of incre- diminishing returns, yeah. I think, would be the fair mm. way to put it. But it's such a great film. Mm. Yeah. It's cliche to say it, but it's one of those films that you, you should test your sound system out on, isn't it? If you get yeah. a new surround yeah. sound, it's yeah. perfect for that. 
Yeah, it's it's a proper visual spectacle. Yeah. Um and, and and the first of the comeback of the Swords and Sandals films mm-hmm. that came a little bit back into vogue, but it was Ridley Scott who who made that happen. So no, obviously Gladiator's gonna be there. I think it's probably Russell Crowe's defining role. Yeah, he he'd done a few kind of big films before, but it's what really mm. announced yeah. him as a Yeah, definitely. That made that made him a that made him world famous, that film. Mm. But it is such a great film on, on every it looks fantastic. Mm. The acting's fantastic. The storyline's great, and it obviously got a lot of accolades, which yeah. deserves. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What I would say is, um, because I was thinking about the choices that everyone else had and what I might choose. Uh, have you? Has anyone seen The Insider? No, no. Really, really good. That's a. It's a Michael Mann film, and the reason I bring it up is. Um, Russell Crowe plays really against type there. It's it's about the true story of a whistleblower in the uh, tobacco industry. Uh, and Russell Crowe plays this really nervous, geeky guy who comes forward and is a reluctant whistleblower. And Al Pacino plays the... I think he's the producer of 60 Minutes or something like that. He's like a TV news producer who's determined to get this story out. It's a great film if ever you're kind of looking for one of those true-life whistleblower legal thriller type things. And and Russell Crowe plays completely against type there and he did it pretty soon after Gladiator and it's almost a complete turnaround. I mean, a, a Beautiful Mind is quite similar. He plays... Yes, you're true, yeah. ...inverted, quiet, reserved character with mm. all this kind of big stuff happening to him, whether it's in the, the person's head or not, there's a lot mm. happening, um, at least in this person's perceived reality. And it is, again, you know, it is different to him playing, you know, um, in American Gangster or Gladiator or Man of Steel yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, he's an arrogant bastard, but sometimes he's got reason to be, I suppose. Mm. He's the fucking best actor in the world, isn't he? He's the fucking best actor in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Great beard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, James, who did you end up with? I got Amy Adams. Um, the delightful Amy Adams. I think Adams. I know one of your picks already. But no, you don't actually. I'm going. I'm going to clear that out of the way. As much as I really want to, I can't put the Muppets in here. Um, Why? Uh, because that would actually be an insult to some of the brilliant acting words. I love the Muppets. I really, but she's not. She's just being a nice. She's just being cute. Amy Adams in that, and she's in it for about. It's not a huge amount of time. Sings a song, um, so no, it's not one of her best performances because she is actually a really, really talented actress. Um, my first choice is the Master from last year. Uh, she plays Peggy Dodd. Now I reviewed Paul Thomas Anderson's film on the podcast last year, and it didn't impress me. It bored me, in fact. But what I would say is one of the strongest elements of the film is it has got three incredible central performances. And although a lot of people spoke about Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and they did deserve their plaudits, I thought Amy Adams was only unfairly overlooked by a number of reviews in a number of places. She plays Peggy Dodd, who is the wife of the charismatic and mysterious cult leader, the master Lancaster Dodd, kind of based roughly on uh, L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology. But as the film progresses, we get a glimpse of that powerful woman behind the man. And it's set in the 1950s, so it's a bit more of a backward society. Um, But she is definitely the reason that Lancaster Dodd is as powerful uh, and, and has c- 
conniving as he is. Uh, she handles some very, very difficult material very well. And actually, I'd say that her interactions with Hoffman uh, and with Phoenix are arguably uh, more interesting than the ones that the two male leads uh, have b- between themselves. And also, as, as a bonus for those of you who might like Amy Adams in that way, like me, um, she talks very, very dirty at points in it, actually. It's quite, it's quite sexy. <laughs> she says the C word as well. Oh, no. In a, yeah, in, in quite a sexy way. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, that's the master. Um, a, a lot of people really like that film. I like I said, I didn't, and I'm still not... I'm still not... I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson's style really suits me. I'm not sure I like his style of filmmaking, but he is definitely an actor's director and he does get incredible performances and that's one of them um my second choice is from 2010 and it's the fighter uh, david o russell's biopic of irish mickey ward um brilliant boxing film uh, i still can't quite believe that for a time warrior was in the imdb top 250 and this wasn't uh because this uh, they came out at quite a similar time and it's like oh it's two films about fighting and family and redemption and this uh, to be blunt, shits all over Warrior. Um, that mini rant out of the way. Uh, Amy Adams plays Charlene Fleming, who, and again, another example of a tough and uncompromising woman, very protective of her man, and will do what she can to further his career. Uh, so similar kind of roles to the master. But what's great about her in this role is how she she really inhabits the duality of her character completely seamlessly. When you first meet her, she's working behind a bar, she's wearing skimpy clothing, and she's got a reputation that Mickey's family... It's kind of Jeremy Kyle-style uh, family interventions type thing, which are hilarious in the film. Um, they describe her, as, uh, her reputation as that of an MTV girl, a girl gone wild, because uh, she keeps questioning, what do you mean MTV girl? Um <laughs> She's actually a former college student and athlete, and she handles herself with a surprising amount of dignity and wit when dealing with Mickey's family, especially his mum. And that's a really, in that, that's some of the best scenes are actually between her and Melissa Leo, who plays uh, Mickey's mum. It's a her performance itself is totally believable um, in a film filled with totally believable performances, um, and it really shows the characters' different strengths and vulnerabilities. And yeah, she she really holds her own in a film where Mark Wahlberg is the best he's ever been, and Christian Bale is also really up there among the best of his work as well. Um, and again, it's another great director who loves working with actors david o russell so yeah if you've not seen the fighter really highly recommend it i know jerry's a big fan of it have you got around seeing it yet owen no it's it's still on oh, my okay. uh, sky plus planner yeah it's been on there it, it's, it, it's one of those that actually i kind of put off for a little bit and then i sat down to watch it and i think the it's one of those the first 15 minutes you're like yeah I, I, i'm looking forward to getting through i'm looking forward to watching the rest of this film i think if you watch the first 15 minutes you'll get taken by it and there's a lot of really good they because it's set in the uh late 80s early 90s i think um they actually use a lot of the fil- the video and film technology of the time um to show it on screen so it looks really really accurate as well um my last film um well i do you know i wrote this film off for years as some kind of terrible and cheesy live action disney film for kids um it's enchanted from 2007 and you know i was i was so wrong 
it's actually a if you sit down and give it a chance it's a really smart and knowing family film that simultaneously celebrates and deconstructs the Disney princess myth. I think the biggest praise I can give it is it's like a live action Pixar film. I, I, I genuinely, genuinely really enjoy this film. Um, Adams plays Giselle, who is a simple forest girl, who at the start of the film, which opens up as classic Disney animation, um, she lives in the forest and all the animals. She lives in a world where all the animals are your friends and Prince Charming's rescue you from dragons and resolve to marry you the next day. Sadly, in this world, Prince Charming's tend to have wicked stepmothers who will cast poor innocent would-be princesses into exile into a cruel and heartless, cynical world. Modern-day New York. Um, it is a classic or cliched, whichever way you want to look at it, culture clash uh, film. It actually, uh, a lot of it reminds me of scenes from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where they bring historical characters and take them to the shopping mall, uh, seeing uh, Beethoven playing in the uh, the music store and seeing uh, Genghis Khan going around beating up uh, mannequins with baseball bats and stuff like that. So you've got that kind of uh, that's great. That's there's a lot of humour in that kind of situation. But it also reminds me a lot of the French comedy Les Visiteurs. Um, which was remade as Just Visiting with Gene Reno as well. It, it, just this idea that people come from another world oh, into modern-day New York and gives you that that outsider's view of how crazy our modern life might seem. And I, I, this all sounds terrible and cheesy. Actually, the film probably would fail without the charm and wit and pure commitment to the role that Amy Adams has. Um, there is a musical element to it. It's not lame is, it's not all musical the way through. There are like any Disney film, there are a few songs throughout it. But what's great is they're actually really, really good songs and Adams has got a great voice as well. It it's just a great fun film. Wicked Stepmother's played by Susan Sarandon as well, who really enjoys vamping up her role. Uh and you even get some Timothy Spool in there as well. Honestly, it is if you like if you're the type of person who is willing to engage with the Disney film, I, I really think you'll enjoy Enchanted. Cool. Okay, Owen, your actor was? My actor was Michael Shannon, um, who plays Zod in uh, Man of Steel. I have come a little bit underprepared, though, actually. One of the films was <gasps> one of my choices. Get I only that. finished... Okay, it's <laughs> I only finished watching one of the films like about half an hour before we started recording the podcast. So, yeah, the first one I'll talk about, though, um, is one I I wanted to watch it anyway because it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's Premium Rush, um, Mm -hmm. which you might have heard of. It's quite a popular indie film, I think. Um, It's basically about a delivery guy. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a delivery guy. And he has to get a package from one place to another, as delivery guys do. Michael Shannon basically plays this um, corrupt policeman who's trying to intercept the package. And he chases um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character all through the streets of New York. And he uh, it's good, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. I think Michael Shannon plays a good villain, um, particularly... I think he plays Zod very well, but here he sort of shows that you know he can play quite a mean, um, quite an angry kind of character. But I don't think he really does anything with the character that that isn't in the script, if you know what I mean. It could have been played by anyone of you know, like Michael Rooker, who um, is known as I think it's more well known actually as Merle from Walking Dead, or you know David Morse, who's in Sixteen Blocks and. Probably actually, yeah. he's more you know more known as uh, is he jo- Jodie Foster's dad, I think, in Contact. 
But anyway, he played, you know, anyone like that who plays those kind of characters could have replaced Michael Shannon in this film and it wouldn't have made it any worse or any better. Mm. Um, yeah. But he does does really well with the role, uh, in you know, with what he's given. And I think it's a, it's a very good film. I was really enjoyed by the... Uh, I really enjoyed the fact that it just looked so fantastic. So you've got all these, like, brilliant shots of weaving through traffic, which 80% of the time really annoys me because as a dri- as a recent driver <laughs> who drives in <laughs> Oxford where there was just the cyclists are crazy oh, um yeah, yeah that <laughs> that really annoys me but it just it it looks brilliant and the whole film is really cool and typically indie but just it's a it's a good fun film um and but it's yeah it's probably not Michael Shannon's best example of acting but I think it's a good a good way to sort of show that he can do do villains and probably would have helped him get in the Zod role actually. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was my first choice. Now my, my second and third choices are almost by default, really. <laughs> Looking through oh. his filmography, I realised I've seen a few a few films that he's in, but I have no recollection of him in them. Stuff like Groundhog Day. Did you know Michael Shannon was in Groundhog Day? I think I did, but only when I was looking at what a difficult job you had. Yeah. <laughs> did Even you know that w- Michael Shannon was in Groundhog Day. Oh, oh very, very good. Quick, yeah, <laughs> very quick. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but so the, the two films that I've chosen basically ended up because I was first of all I was looking for Take Shelter. I wanted to watch Take Shelter, which uh, was a film out. Uh, I don't know whether it was last year or 2011. I was having trouble finding places to rent it. Lots of places allow you to buy it. Not many places allow you to rent it online. Um, but a, a film by the same director, Jeff Nichols, uh, also starred Michael Shannon called Shotgun Stories, which I was able to find on uh, Netflix US, uh, which is pretty good, actually. Um, another indie kind of film, but this one's more of a, a family drama. Uh, it's about two feuding families who, uh, well, they're part of the same family. Basically, they share the same dad, so they're all stepbrothers. Mm. But there's a bit of bad blood between the two of them. And basically, the dad, the dad dies. Uh, the father of the family, he dies. And at the funeral, Michael, Michael Shannon turns up with his two brothers and basically lets rip into how awful their dad was, which obviously roils this other family. It turns into this feud, they get into a fight, it escalates, and so on. Um, it's a good film. Uh, the, the 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 problem with it really is that it's quite quite slow, and I think it it's just it thinks it's a really arty story, you know, arty way of directing. But most of the time, it just comes across as like uh, Terence Malick light, if you like him. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's fine. I think it looks okay. It's just a bit too too bogged down in its own genius if you you know for want of a better phrase it but michael shannon is brilliant he plays this 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 uh, the oldest brother of the three and um he basically looks after them he's very um protective over the family he also has a wife who's just recently walked out on him and uh, a, a young kid that he you know he want, he wants to get them back and stuff so it's a, it's a bit strange in in, in the way it represents family, I think, as a film. It, it's a very strange, strange film in that sense. But because they're these sort of... I think they're from Arkansas, so they're, they're very southern uh, mm. American families. They basically come across as being very thick 
the, the bottom line of it is they both come across as very thick. None of them know when to just stop acting like idiots. And there's one brother from the, who's one of the stepbrothers who tries to calm everything down, and it doesn't do anything. And you're just watching it thinking, well, either the, there is a problem with them where they're just, you know, they're really proud families, or they're just really, really stupid. And it was quite annoying to watch, actually. Um, mm. But yeah, okay, Michael Shannon's best thing in it. Um, I don't really know anyone else who was in it either. Uh, I didn't really know well. <laughs> any of the, the brothers on either side. I've not seen them in anything, even checking mm. up on IMDb. Nope, no recollection of them from any other film. So that was it was um, interesting. But I eventually did find Take Shelter uh, on a Canadian Netflix, which I spent most of the afternoon trying to rush like on various different websites trying to find ways that I can access it. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared to pay seven quid to rent it on Blinkbox or iTunes and watch no. it. So I managed to eventually find it, which is a bit naughty, and I will probably rent it at some point, legitimately. Um, but it is a much better film, much more polished. You can see that Jeff Nichols, he's, he's honed that style of, of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um I'm still really formulating my opinion on it, to be honest, because, like I say, it's one, I only finished watching it about what the time there, about two hours ago. So yeah. trying to put into terms what everything means and you know whether I liked it or not, even it's still, it's still sort of, I'm still trying to think about it a little bit. But the basic plot is about uh, Michael Shannon, who is a father again. Uh, his wife is Jessica Chastain. They've got a young daughter who is deaf or hearing impaired. And um, basically, he, Michael Shannon starts having these weird dreams, rather sort of vivid dreams about uh, this apocalypse, these apocalyptic visions. But at the same time, he's got um, a mother who's suffered from mental health issues in the past. And he starts to worry that he might just be going a bit crazy. Um so it's yeah, it's a very interesting film in the way that it deals with mental health. I think it, because it talks about schizophrenia and the way that you you view, view the world through Michael Shannon, you see everything that's happening to him. It's a very interesting film from that sense. But again, it's a very strong performance from Michael Shannon, and he he basically carries the film. I think I don't, I've never really had a problem with Jessica Chastain. In fact, I think in a few films she's been very good. I think she was great in The Help. Um, I did like her in um, Zero Dark Thirty, um, mm. but it is Michael Shannon again. The film's kind of resting on his shoulders, and he carries it. He does carry the film through the whole. Uh, it's quite a long runtime as well. It's about two hours, and he he, he just you, you do watch him, and every little movement, every slight you know twitch, or it, it all means something, and it's all bigger, and it's all part of this this like I say this this theme about mental health and. I do really want to think about it a bit more before committing to an, an overall opinion on it. Mm. But I, at the moment, I would recommend it because it does make you think. And it's interesting as well because being sort of this, this post-apocalyptic visions that he's having, you, it treads the line of, is this real or is this going to happen? Or is he actually just crazy? And you, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen, which makes it quite exciting to watch. But yeah, mm. this is this is the film I think I can compare to um, um, the uh, what's the Crow film we were talking about earlier? Uh, mm. Not Life is Beautiful. What's the other one? A Beautiful Mind. A yes. Beautiful Mind. Um, which uh, I haven't seen, but my wife saw it and she kept comparing this to 
that film to Life is Beautiful. Uh, no, I keep saying Life is Beautiful. Yeah. To a Beautiful Mind. Very like, different. Yeah. yeah. The word beautiful, <laughs> it's confusing me. I've not seen either of them, but anyway. Um, because it, it, they both walk that line, I think, of, you know, it, he hallucinates things and you don't know what's real and what's not. And it's very involved film and very deep um, characters in it. So I would say that was probably his best performance I've seen. Probably better than Zod, actually. And I liked him as Zod. So, yeah, those are my three films. Um, Premium Rush, Shotgun Stories, and then Take Shelter. Okay, uh, I think that rounds up our Triple Bill segment. Um, So, up next is the main review itself of Man of Steel. So, our main review this week is the reboot again of the Superman franchise, Man of Steel, starring Henry... Is it Henry? Cavill? Yeah. Henry Cavill. Yeah, Cav- Cavill. 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 <laughs> Cavill. Yeah. As the last son of Krypton, as Superman, um, also starring uh, Russell Crowe as um, Jor-El and Michael Shannon as Zod, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, and Lauren Fishburne in it as well. So is Kevin Costner. Um, here's a bit of a clip of it. I have so many questions. Where do I come from? You just have to decide what kind of man you want to grow up to be, Clark. Whoever that man is, he's going to change the world. My father believed that if the world found out who I really was, they'd reject me. That the world wasn't ready. What do you think? So yeah, that's uh, kind of is it best clip of the film I can find. It's, it's a slight kind of few bits of the film stitched together there. I think it's a TV promo, but it talks about uh, one of the conflicts at the heart of the film and at the heart of really the Superman ethos is um, the fact that young Clark, young Kal-el, is talking about how um, his father on Earth it, um, said that if the people of Earth find out who he was. They might kill him. Uh, so it's it's really the film really goes back to it, it's an origin story, isn't it? It's another mm-hmm. origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, Are there any uh, what, superhero films recently where the first ones come out and it's not been an origin story? Um, I would say probably uh, the Incredible Hulk um, kind of picked up in situ. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, interestingly, that was a, that's a film that's been referenced by the filmmakers behind Man of Steel because they were saying, could we do a a new Superman so soon after Superman Returns and do an origin and reboot the whole thing? And basically, people told them, yeah, Incredible Hulk got away with it, so why can't you? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've kind of said that that was one of their... They saw that they they done that with that film, so they knew they could kind of do that with Man of Steel. Um, I can't I Dredd can't think didn't. of men. I mean, Dread actually, it. yeah, and that's one of the things we loved about it yeah. was the fact that bang, here you go, day in Dread's life. Uh, that that was great, but yeah, it does seem to be that because we're in, we've spoken about this recently, this kind of new golden age of comic book mm, I mean, movies. I suppose, I suppose again with the Marvel films is the first time that a lot of those particular characters have been yeah. on screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly right. And you, you are introducing 
a whole new generation. Most of the people going to see Man of Steel won't have grown up watching the Richard Donner films, for example. And so that is something that me, as the old codger that I am, um, I have to get over the fact that this is a brand new Superman for a brand new generation. Um, yeah, okay. do you know what? I'm going to let Owen go first today. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my... I'm going to keep my powder dry for a bit. <laughs> okay. Well, like I was saying uh, earlier about Take Shelter, and I want to think about that a little bit before I, I sort of decide on what my opinion is. I had the same problem with Man of Steel, except it seemed to go on for ages, and I, it took me a while to actually really... What the film did. Hey! Oh, oh, very good. <laughs> no, what I actually want... What I actually thought about it, even... Um, because I came out of the cinema thinking, did, did I like it or did I hate it? And I had to kind of assess what it was I was judging it on, really. Um, and it turned out I, I, I was thinking, well, it didn't really meet my expectations, but my expectations don't really count in whether it's a good or bad film, I think. If I wanted it to be more uh, humorous, for example, um, then that's my problem i don't think it's meant to be a humorous film uh so this is an interesting I, I i i find your logic there very interesting it's difficult to argue against it but i suppose the way i would <laughs> yeah. if i was going to argue against it is that no i, I do see the point you know and i do, we've often moaned about or or discussed the idea of judging the film you wish it was rather than the film they come up with and I, I do think that I do think that is is a fair point. What I would say, though, is that I think that's a fair point up to a certain up to a certain extent. However, I would argue that um, that that kind of lightness of touch, which has been evident in every screen incarnation of Superman, I would argue that's more. Um, I'd argue that's actually quite an integral part of the film for me. That's an integral part of the Superman story for me. You know, not coming from a comic book point of view, but coming from a, a fan of the films originally and a fan of the character in that sense. I would say that lightness of touch, that bit of humour, is actually quite an integral part of the film. And for me, taking that humour away would be... It is the same as if they decided not to have him dressed in blue, for example. You know, to me, you know, they've decided to keep his costume, although I'm still a little bit disappointed there's no red trunks on the outside. Uh, <laughs> there isn't I, in the bit, comics anymore. He's lost them. There isn't in I know, exactly. Um, it's too dark uh, a blue for me. It needs to be lighter. <laughs> oh, the, uh, the reason it was lighter originally was for blue screen effects. Um, Richard Donner's Superman was meant to have a darker blue, um, but when they did blue screen... <laughs> Um, he he was invisible, so they had to make his blue different to the blue screen blue. That's the reason it's so light in the uh, original films, and that kind of stuck with us for a bit. It was meant to be originally about this dark, apparently, for the films. Um, but yeah, on on the point, what I will say, let, yeah, you've got me started now. Yep. Um, it is, it, there is not a single. I didn't have a single smirk. There is not a light touch at all in this film and we agree be, on that there's, there's meant to be a couple of times there are, there are a few yeah. jokes that I feel, that I thought fell completely there, there I think was, there were there a few one, attempted there was, jokes there was one where he crashed into a sign on a work site that had such and such days since our last accident oh and god yeah I forgot about they, that one and they didn't really focus on the fact that just the zero was left up after he crashed through it 
Yeah, it, it didn't, didn't kind of like... And you would have hold, you would have thought it would have hold shot. Just for a second, yeah. Just as no, a I, joke. That's a good point. I'd forgotten about that one. And you're right. And that, I think that's symptomatic of the fact that it didn't hang around. It, it, they put the joke in there, but they didn't have... I don't know if it's the courage or the bravery or the will to actually go, look, here's a joke. You know, have a laugh now. Um, well, they, because they, what did, I, they did, you know, a couple of times they tried it. I mean, you had the uh, Superman's hot bit in it with the the um, the two soldiers and one the, the female soldier says yeah, that she yeah, thinks... The only, the only time... Oh, uh, right, yeah. The only time I, I heard a laugh was slightly before that where the general, whatever he is, goes, what... Are you effing stupid? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he when he crashes the the um, drone in right, Jeff's yeah. car at the end. Yeah. 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 That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. But what I, it is it's a really super serious film. Yes. Um, yeah. It's and what I would say is I expected that I expected the. Um, I expected the same kind of feel as the Dark Knight trilogy. You know, super real. This is a real world situation. This isn't fantasy anymore. It's these people live in our world. I, I get that. But what I would say is, even in the Dark Knight trilogy, you had touches of humour and you know performances from Michael Caine and uh, Morgan Freeman, where there were actually some. There was some really good dry humour there. It wasn't laugh out loud jokes. It wasn't like the Avengers. Um, but it, there was some some light moments. I just I just felt like this was two and a half hour film without any lightness. It just mm. made it a struggle for me to get through. And I I, I would say that that lightness is is actually I, I think it's essential for a comic book adaptation. To be honest, of this of this type, I think you do need some lightness. You need a bit of fun there, and you need to remember that you know this is actually quite a ludicrous concept. Okay, I, I, I mean that's... they play it so straight, but uh, as you say, that's that's my take on it. That's just my take that's... on it. I, I, I think yeah. that's fair. If you don't like it because there is no humour, um, yeah. and you know that that's fine to not like it because of that. I think what what's bugging me a little bit is people going around saying there's no humour in it, therefore it's a shit film. And I think that isn't right. That's that's you no, imposing that's a diff- what you want. That's a film. different argument. No, I, I totally agree with you because there are some great comic book adaptations that are, are very straight and very serious um, because of the nature. You know, um, Watchmen's not really got any <laughs> jokes or anything in it. He, you know, it's got, there's a couple of moments there. Watchmen is also very very serious, yeah. but. I kind of, but because I've read the source material for that, I kind of went in there expecting that. So, I, and it, and that all, that always felt a little bit more film noir. Um, it felt like it was almost from a different kind of world. And yeah, a part of this will be because I've watched the Superman films just in the last week, and that will have affected. Yeah. What I'm expecting f- that you know I'm expecting a Superman film, and this didn't feel like a Superman film. So in that sense, no. Okay. I am judging it on the film that I wanted it to be. But I might have to come on to some what I would class as objective criticisms sure. rather than my subjective crit- But what, what else did you like about it, Owen? Okay, there were a lot of themes that run through this film of, you know, very contrasting different things, you know. So, uh, for example, uh, I think I pointed out on the forum, um, the stuff about the, you know, preordained nature of what Krypton, mm-hmm. Kryptonians are supposed to be for mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah. you know, an allegory to, to communism. Mm-hmm. And how 
by Russell Crowe's character quite early on in the film, who's supposed to be just a scientist, by actually um, fighting around the world. I mean, just fighting... Head, uh, <laughs> literally headbutts. <laughs> headbutts on. It's, it, you know, part of it might just be, it's, you know, Zack Snyder, he wants a, an action film. It might just be yeah. that Russell Crowe wants to fight. But it it's also to do, I think, with showing that he's he's breaking this yeah. cast. He's not this it's thing also, he's supposed to be. It's also the situation he's in, though, as well. To protect yeah, his son. Doesn't matter if you're yeah. a scientist or a drone or whatever. If, if you're in a situation where you need to hit someone, you're going to hit someone. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I can be, he he took to it very well for a scientist. But <laughs> that 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 was to be honest. I, when I mentioned that online, I I was nitpicking a little bit. And and the scenes on Krypton, I was quite impressed yeah. with. It was a it was a very well realized world. It was clearly a, a decaying and dying world. But you also got the sense of a world which um, was corrupt and actually probably ha- you know not not necessarily deserved to die. But it it was. It was a group, like you say. It was a group of people who had become drunk on their own power and their own superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, you know, okay, and well, obviously there were a few new bits there. The idea that um, Kal-el uh, being the first, you know, it's not a spoiler here because it's literally in the first ten minutes. But first, uh, he, he's been born, and um, they've got these weird babies in pods and stuff like that. It's all a little bit weird, but I went with it because it looked good. I'll be honest. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. The other, the other sort of things that I liked about w- what it was trying to address were um, some quite big themes about, uh, you know, the origin of man and where we come from and exploration and, and, all, and all that kind of evolution as well and stuff like that. So the, a lot of the parallels that, it, that I kind of picked up on were with films like Prometheus from last year mm-hmm. rather than more comic booky type films like Avengers or even Dark Knight yeah. Rises. It was more um, about, you know a person who's out of place and why is he out of place? He was, he put there, he was sent there by somebody. He's there to, you know, he's, he's, he's actually better than the species that are already there, but he wants to adapt mm-hmm. and be part of them. But those people, do they going to turn on him? What's going to happen there? Do they appreciate, you know, with all the army stuff? I mean, it, it, it's, it's this whole idea as well about aliens being gods, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very Prometheus, you know, he, mm-hmm. he is a Promethean, sort of character so yeah. I th- there were a lot of things like that I think which are very subtly kind of worked into the, the script which I did like mm-hmm. and it's a I think it's a very interestingly told narrative as well I think the way that it, it works quite well in that it's never completely set in one particular time mm-hmm. a lot of it is jumping around from uh, into flashbacks you've got points yeah. where he's in a where you think he's in a flashback and then he has another flashback so which bit are you in i don't think it's meant to be like uh, it is literally having a flashback i think it's just the film is structured yeah. in a way you don't sort of go from point a to b mm. and which actually i didn't mind and a lot of people have complained about the flashback the non-linear nature of yeah. essentially the um the smallville years because uh, we we go from krypton uh being destroyed to um, Superman as a 30-year-old drifter, essentially, and then you get him growing up, yes. the, the kind of golden age of him growing up. That, that actually worked quite well to me. That was one of my favourite bits of the film, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Um, it, it was like they got Terence Malick in to direct some of it. it. There was a lot of kind of wistful um, 
lingering shots of water dripping into a bucket with some clothes pegs in and stuff like that. <laughs> and it was, I was like, uh, you know, billowing linen on the line and stuff like that. It, it was very, very understand, very, very un Zack Snyder as well. Yes. Um, but I, I enjoyed those. I thought um, Kevin Costner in those scenes was fantastic. I thought a really good, mm, subtle performance from him. From my point of view, the film went downhill as soon as Zod stepped foot on Earth. But the early parts of the film were carried, or parts of the film, not, not carried, but definitely, you know, brought forward by the performances of Clark Kent, Superman's dads, both of them. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, Russell Crowe, really good as Jor-El. Uh, um, he... With a great English, you know, well, like, plummy like, like accent. I said earlier, he seemed to be doing an impression of Ewan McGregor, doing an impression of Alec Guinness, doing <laughs> yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, but this time it's the best fucking actor in the world yeah. doing it. So yeah. you know, it's it's going to be spot on. But yeah, he 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 was good, and I'm glad we got to see more of him than you would expect from a typical Superman mm. uh, film. I think that's that's a yeah. fair point to say. Um, yeah, Kevin Costner was good. Uh, Henry Cavill, you know, as uh, Drifter. Uh, uh, Clark. Uh, it was also very brooding, very emo, uh, but at the same time believable. And you could see this fractured person. I actually genuinely liked all that. I think Kevin Costner had, for me, one of the the best scenes of the entire film. And I won't go into that now. But Kevin, there is there is a moment where I was really believing in this film. Um, I loved the setup, and like I, you know, I picked up on a lot of the themes that Owen picked up on. Obviously, he picked up on more of them because he's more intelligent than me. Uh, uh, no, I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I did pick up on those themes, and I liked those themes, and I liked what they were doing differently there. Um, I, I think, I think maybe the dialogue let it down a little bit in those early some of those early scenes there was a little bit too much it's, kind of exposition going it's on it's not just those early scenes the dialogue of the no. film is poor i'll give you that yeah, it's yeah just... no it's yeah yeah it is it's poor poor dialogue there's a few like there's it i'll come on to other criticism later but i do think that there was some there was some lovely bits which i know were kind of stolen from comic book here a great speech from Jor-El to his son which everyone's seen in the trailers about um They'll follow you. They'll stumble. You know, and you, you'll pick them up. Yeah, really nice kind of building up bits. Really building up to the bit where he becomes Superman. And at that moment of the film, I'm 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 engaged and I'm connected. And like Steve says, for me, the film goes downhill from that moment. We get all the pieces kind of being moved slowly into place, and then we get an hour of things hitting each other, uh, and that's. I mean, that's where it lost me. Zod, Zod's plan, is, you know, the plot of his, you know, master plan is a good one, but you don't really see much of it. You just see lots of people hitting each other and flying into things, and then you've got the whole kind of Superman aspect of traditionally Superman's meant to kind of limit human casualties as much as possible, and he just doesn't seem to give a fuck. Yeah, that's that's an issue. I I know Owen saw it slightly differently, but that that is an issue I had. And there he, there is definitely a break from as an example um in Superman 2 where General Zod is basically picking up a bus full of people to attack Superman with. Superman is concerned about the people on that bus. Um there are other films Batman Returns, uh, Batman Superman Returns the other day. Um 
the world's at stake and Superman still manages to find time to save one citizen falling from a building. These, and these are slightly ridiculous anachronistic things. And if he did that, people would probably moan the fact that he was saving one individual person. Again. But that, for me, is part of the Superman ethos, the fact that he tries to save every single human being. And obviously part of that is the fact that he couldn't save his dad. Uh, you know that that's that is present in every single Superman story you've ever got. In every telling of it, in one way or another, uh, Jonathan Kent dies in some way, and Superman can't stop it. Well, that's uh, and that plays on it. Mind, but yeah, well, yeah, we'll come on to you know differences there later. Um, but I, I didn't get the impression. It just felt to me like uh, the Incredible Hulk film. It, it just felt like two CGI people bashing each other in uh, invulnerable people as well it, that's the they they fought for they fight for it feels like an hour and I just got a headache from it um Hans Zimmer's music got turned up to 20 um buildings smashing everywhere and and what I felt about this big climactic battle is I I had no emotional investment because it's happening literally pretty much as soon as Superman becomes Superman. We go into the end game battle, um, and I'm I'm not connected with any of the characters. the The relationship between Clark Stroke Superman and Lois Lane, played by Amy Adams, is virtually non-existent, and it does feel like the writers have gone, yeah, that's Lois Lane, so you're meant to hope that they get together. But they didn't show me any of that on screen. You see a little bit of the Daily Planet office, you see about five minutes of the Daily Planet office, and then all of a sudden you're meant to be worried about the people who work there, and I'll, I can barely remember any of them. I just Lawrence know. Fishburne was there. He was, he was great. Well, I, exactly. And he was good on his bits, yeah. um, but he didn't have a lot of stuff to do, and then all of a sudden I meant to... He didn't have enough to make me care about him, though, I'll be honest. And it was kind of like... Don't care about him because he runs the Daily Planet. Not care about him because he's a character I've spent a little bit of time with. And I do think a lot of that end battle could have been spent actually getting me to care about the characters because that was that was a big issue for me. Um, well, I think was that I, I didn't connect with anyone. I didn't care about any of them. Not that. even Clark, not even Superman. I, I did care about him, but he's invulnerable. So I, I kind of knew I, I knew he'd be alright. Uh, so he goes up against the, the, another invulnerable person. This, um, this is the, the problem. That it's a, a frequent argument that people seem to have: is you know, Superman's boring. He's invulnerable, so he's yeah. boring because you know you can't be, you can't kill him. He's invulnerable, so he's just a very boring superhero, isn't he? That's that's not what his. He's a vul- very vulnerable character, and I think Snyder does really well in this film to show him as being vulnerable. Despite spending far too long having him pummel Zod and show that actually he's, he's physically, I, I agree normal. with you. But it, the, it, the interesting bits is when he, is, you know, and it's happened in previous films. You fought, but I didn't get, I didn't get the vulnerability in this film. To me, it felt like um, two brick walls hitting each other. For it. You know, I, I felt like how is it, how is this ever going to end? But I because think these, I think that's just because it dominates so much of the the runtime. I think if. Yeah. You, if it, I agree. Yeah. That takes too long. If they, they've just taken ten minutes out of that and just spent just a bit more time making Superman be Superman. Mm. Once he's, I mean, he does a lot. I think he does a lot of saving people. I think that's another criticism which I've read, which is harsh. He does save that's people. Harsh. He just doesn't save them as he Superman. He just doesn't do it as <laughs> Superman exactly, and which is what's annoyed a lot of the sort of Superman fans. I think. Yeah. But again, I think it's it's just part of this. 
it does show him as being a very vulnerable character. Part of what makes him vulnerable is his ties to humanity. He's he becomes an adopted son of Earth, and that's. But you know, again, I I have spent a bit more time thinking about you know after our conversation yeah. earlier about um, yeah. some of the uh, collateral damage, should we, yeah. we call it, that happens and. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I I concede. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it, yeah. Did you want a 10-minute training montage? <laughs> um of just him becoming Superman like learning all his powers and how to control them. No. Only no. if it was soundtrack to You're the best <laughs> around. If it had that, yeah, I'm all over just that. But no, I no I think the setup to him Donnie, up at, like I say, up until the moment he dons the suit, and actually the first moment she see him flying, he's got that boyish glee in his face where he can't quite believe he's flying. I, I genuinely was enjoying that. Um, I just didn't think, and, and this is again where I'm going to disagree with Owen. I think part of the reason was I didn't find Zod an engaging antagonist. I, he, at the beginning... Again, opening fifteen minutes, I was I was like, okay, we've got some, we've got internal dilemma and stuff like that. And again, it seemed to me once he got to Earth, he was just shouty man. I, I, I got, I didn't see any shades of grey around him. Well, but he also wasn't like cackling. He wasn't also completely horrendously, horribly, unnervingly bad, um, like some. Uh, you know, great villains have been well, over the years. Yeah, I mean, you you talked about Terrence Stamp in Superman too. Yeah. You know, he's very menacing without shouting. Yeah. And I think yeah. Shannon is... I did think he was quite good at Zod. At Zod. I thought he played it very well um, as a military leader who's just lost his mind, basically. Yeah. Um, he's lost... It, 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 what drives his character is he's not just lost his home planet. He's been mm. cast out but he knows nothing else other than, yeah. you know, he's the protector of Krypton. And he, yeah, that's his role. And, and like I said, for the first, maybe even the first half hour of that, I, I thought that was great. I just then, then it kind of stalled for me uh, as an antagonist, and it didn't. I, I, again, and a, a lot of this will be about what I see as being how I would like a Superman film to be, and I admit that, but or, or just a superhero film. I want, you know, I've seen some brilliant villains in the last few years who are kind of a bit more ridiculous in a sense, but a bit just more entertaining. Um, Loki in the Avengers, um, obviously Heath Ledger uh, as the Joker in The Dark Knight, and also um, Bane uh, in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I, I, there's just been some some oh and the Mandarin recently yeah. and I mean you know having something a bit weird and a bit different and but at one point I did just think is it just because Americans don't do great bad guys <laughs> and that probably sounds really flippant but part of me wanted a slight bit of I don't know a bit of eccentricity a bit of something otherworldly about him but Basically, but, just, but in this Rick film he's a military leader play bad guys. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying Britain's British and European people play much better bad guys on film, uh, and Americans generally play better heroes. There we go. Oh, that's a nice, simple way. But thinking more about it, um, and this is where I'm now coming towards the middle with Owen. I'm, yeah, Owen's conceded a bit to me, and I think that's very good of him. But I'll, I'll come. The way this film set, he is a he's a he is general sod. He's a military leader, and actually, um, you know, he wouldn't have made his way up to the top of the military 
by being a complete weirdo and lunatic and stuff like that. So actually, as his character is, I realise now that no, he plays his character really well. It's just I've got, I'd, it's just not quite the character I want as an antagonist, and maybe that's my. Well, issue. that's quite a good point, I think, because. Of, you know, I've read quite a bit about uh, Man of Steel now, reading up from various reviews mm. all over the place. One thing that seems to be quite um, a frequent complaint, I suppose, is people saying that it's not Superman. And mm. like you've mentioned, all these different characters, the Mandarin from Iron Man 3 mm. is a very good example, as is people mm. like Joker, even, from Dark Knight. Mm. Yeah. They aren't the comic book characters. No. a different take on it it's fine to yeah. if you don't like this version of Superman if you don't like Snyder's um, modern take on this very dark very serious um, struggling for his own identity kind of um, Superman character fine you don't have to like him you know everyone's got different opinions but just because he's different to the Superman you're used to isn't it's just to me it's not easy <laughs> enough to not like him or to think he's a bad character just because he's different. And I think that's, again, people yeah. are just losing sight of what makes something good or bad. If you judge him on his own, I think he's mm. a very complex character in this film, probably mm. a more complex and more well-rounded character than he's been in any other Superman film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And Superman is one of the best bits of this film. You know, it's a really good performance. He really looks the part, to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, he he does really well, and you're right. Some of my issues with this film are because they're not the Superman film that I would want, and it's n- and because I'm probably a little bit bored um, of um, broody, broody, broody yeah. emo reboots of superheroes. And even Christopher Nolan himself said um, he he said he respected Superman Returns, but this is this is the only way he he, he kind of said it in as many words. This is the only way I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know. This this is a Christopher Nolan, you know, he's produced this, um, David S. Goyer, you know, has written it and he wrote The Dark Knight Rises. Um, this is what they know how to do. And so they've done it in the same way. And I think I, I'm just a bit disappointed that it, it that to me it did feel like let's do The Dark Knight Rises with a different superhero. That 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 would be my my criticism there, and again, that's my personal criticism. What I would say is, I do think the dialogue is poor. I think some of the character, I think Lois Lane is wasted in this film. I think it's there's, you know, maybe they can do something with that in future. Um, I think a lot of it is set up for what's going to happen yeah. in next in the next yeah. film, isn't it? I mean, it's um... yeah, and and the next film maybe. Um, and you know, talking about that collateral damage and things like that, maybe if the consequences from this film weigh heavily into the next film, maybe this film will start to make more sense, and maybe I'll be able to come back to it again at some point in the future, and actually, I'll feel differently about it. I'll, I'll still think there's, it's got some serious flaws, uh, but maybe I'll enjoy it a bit more because that was my main criticism. I didn't have fun watching it. And and when I go to see a two and a half hour comic book adaptation um, that I have genuinely been looking forward to, um, if I'm not having fun, I'm going to be a bit annoyed. Yeah, I can see what your what your opinion is. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. say it's a fun, entertaining blockbuster, but mm. I did like it. I think it's the, the way that it's structured is very interesting. I think the, the stuff it, it it covers the different themes that we've mentioned that it covers are very interesting as well. And I think it's a great insight into someone's opinion on what Superman is and what he represents and basically what kind of a person he is. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I find that more interesting. I don't think it necessarily has to be a big, fun blockbuster, um, just because it's got mm. a big budget and just because other films in other comic book adaptations have, have been in that similar vein. Mm. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. I think it, it's, you know, I wouldn't go and watch The Place Beyond the Pines for a big, fun blockbuster. Why would I consider any other type of film to have to be conforming to a certain type? If I went to watch a horror and it wasn't scary, doesn't matter if it isn't scary, as long as there are other aspects to it that I can appreciate. You you can understand how maybe the majority of casual cinema goers might not share I your can, yeah, magnanimous yeah. I, 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 I appreciate that. I appreciate that, but yeah. I think it, it's clouding a lot of people's judgment, and I think it will as time goes on and it's rewatched more and more, and people actually think about it a bit more. Actually, it's probably a good film, and that will be a good thing for it. I think given time, it will become a bit more popular. I know it's quite got a, quite a high score at the minute on IMDb, but then. Most films within the first few weeks of opening. I think, I think the Nolan boys have been out on IMDb. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, and it, and it's got probably it's got a low. It's got fifty six percent on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes, which isn't a disaster, but it's certainly less than you would expect a flagship um, studio. Uh, yeah picture uh released in the summer to get. So I, I think maybe there maybe there is room in the middle. Um but yeah, like I say, I I still didn't think it was a great film at all. Maybe it will grow on me. I hope we, it does. Yeah. Should we wrap it up there with a yeah. quick question? Where does this Lee thing set up for a Justice League movie? Well, the rumour is that there will be a Man of Steel next year. Um end of twenty fourteen. Um, and then a Justice League in 2015, which that's which makes me think you are rushing some scripts there, yeah. and that's it's not, that's a huge one. Man of Steel, you've got three or four more characters. I think you need to. They're not going. Uh, the idea apparently is they're not going to follow the Marvel route of giving everyone their own film. It's two. Ba- it's two um, Superman films. And then Justice League. They're going to introduce the Justice League in the Justice League. They're not going to bring back Ryan Reynolds then as Green. Um, uh, I don't know. I bet he's just sat by his phone going, please. Because he's just dropped out of the Highlander reboot. So he needs some work. You know know why why they're trying to rush it out for 2015? Is that the year that Avengers is out? Yeah, Avengers 2, 2015. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's just a compete, isn't it? Whereas I think, do you know what? Leave it to summer lads. <laughs> you know, um, do it properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spider-Man's also done this. They've already planned Spider-Man 3 and 4, and it's like, do you know what? Get get the next one right first before you start planning exactly. 3 and 4 as well. It's um, there, There's this huge rush because I think the studios see them as, as gold mines. Um, mm. But at some point, it, it like everything, there w- it, there's a bub- it's a bubble. Um and it will burst, and bad, and the audience won't put up with bad ones for very long. And I'm not actually saying Man of Steel is a bad film, I'm not using that as an example, but if they rush the second one, um, and and it gets a similar split divisive reaction to this one, um, they've probably killed off that franchise for another ten years. Whereas if they, they spend time getting it right, um, getting the right people involved, and apparently Christopher Nolan won't be... Is heavily involved in the next one. It's going to be David S. Gore is writing it, but Nolan's taken a much bigger step away because he's got um, Interstellar. I think he's working on next. Um, so Zack Snyder now gets a chance to put his mark on this. Give him the chance to do that because mm. 
if you try and rush it, it won't it won't be good. It it, it will be it will be horribly flawed, and you'll be trying to just sell tickets on the back that it's back of it being a Superman film. Whereas, you know, spend a bit of time getting it right, because otherwise you could really kill. I think Marvel are the people that DC need to look at here. Actually, DC and Warner Brothers need to look at what they did. They spent four or five years building up to Avengers. You can't you can't expect to get Justice League ready in in two years. That's I, a nonsense. I think it's a nonsense to try and compete with Avengers two because a yeah. I don't think commercially it's going to be as successful whatever marketing they put into it um, um, unless they get Batman involved which is still not decided I don't think yeah and B it's a different completely different type of film what, yeah. why are they trying to compete with exactly Avengers? you've just said it's not it's not a kind of this, this one wasn't a popcorn no. eating all action type thing you know it was it was actually a very serious take on a on a character and yeah it would be difficult to imagine quite how the Justice League would follow that at the moment. They're going to need to do a lot of laying the groundwork um, for that to work properly, I think. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it anyway. Is Ben Affleck still still involved in any way? Apparently not, no. No, He was was potentially going to be directing this at one point as well. And uh, interestingly, Darren Aronofsky um, got to the last two on uh, potentially directing this, but uh, didn't quite make it, so that 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 would have been an interesting yeah. take, I think, as well. I think they they did they went the right they went with the right choice with um. Yeah. He was also down to the last two of the Batman reboots as well, so he's really, <laughs> um, until Nolan got it. So he's he's come really really close uh, to getting. Maybe you'll get Flash franchise. or Wonder Woman or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so should we uh, round off the podcast there by telling people what's up next week? Uh, next week we are doing oh it's um World War Z uh, or Z uh, depends mm-hmm. which side of the Atlantic you're from that's going to be our main review and surprisingly I'm hearing some positive things about it I'm um, hearing but from the trailer I see I'm in two minds because one they've taken the plot from a very good book although Owen doesn't like it but Owen doesn't like anything so <laughs> But they've taken the idea of a very good book and completely changed it. And yeah. looking at the trailers, Brad Pitt would not have a wife that unattractive. So I can't get bored of it there. But then again, Steve's massively caught up on that. But then again, I'm hearing good reviews about it, and the people who made it must have done their research because they filmed the end of the world in Glasgow. So yes, that's <laughs> right. It, do you know what? Uh, the story behind that film is going to be really interesting when it eventually comes out. I think the uh, the director's commentary might be worth it because that seems to have been an absolute victim of studio meddling, um, creative pivots and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, apparently it might be good. So we'll see next week. So, spoiler alert for Man of Steel. Um, who wants to kick us off? I can kick us off, actually, because I found an interesting article, uh, blog post, on the internet, picking up ten Easter eggs. I won't read them all, because some of them are a bit tenuous. Um, but somebody like Owen, who's a bit comic book-ish, 
might have noticed you can, them. You can call me a nerd or a geek or whatever you want to like. <laughs> any, any, uh, nerd. <laughs> I'll, I'll credit this website. Credit where credit's due. It's uh, nextmovie.com. Anyway, 10 Easter eggs. Uh, did anyone spot the uh, Batman Bruce Wayne yes. reference? Yeah. Spotted that, yeah, I, nailed it. The satellite said Wayne Enterprises on it. It was a Wayne Enterprise satellite in space. Yeah, that they ended up crashing. Yeah, I saw a Luther Court. Um, yeah, that truck that's as well. Quite um, yeah. a few of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Booster Gold is apparently another superhero who I've not heard of. Uh, he was referenced in the film and trailer a couple of times. See, he, no, where is, where is that reference? Because I missed it. I know who Booster Gold is. I've got a lot of Booster Gold comics, and I quite who, like the character. Who is Booster Gold? He's from the future. He's the time traveller. He comes back oh. to the past to be a superhero. Uh, yes. And he's, yeah. Is he mates with Samson? Samson. Or is that a different time travelling? But Samson... Um, I, sorry, I, it, was, it was in uh, All-Star Superman that I'd started watching earlier. Uh, Samson and some other superhero time travellers, and they came back to challenge Superman to a f- uh, trial of strength for the heart of Lois Lane. And I didn't know if they were like. Uh, no, I think that's something else. I okay. Yeah, I know. No, no that's not. Okay, I don't think yeah. that's Booster Gold. Uh, okay. Apparently, he's got his own line of comics in the Superman universe called Blaze Comics, made by Blaze Comics, whose logo you can see um, during the film. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Supergirl. Um, okay, I, I I had a massive crush on Supergirl um, <laughs> when the film came out in the eighties, but uh, I didn't get the reference at all. What was well, it, Steve? Did this, it say? this one again um, is before the film came out. Apparently, DC Comics published a prequel comic explaining how the Kryptonian ship ended up in the Arctic ice, you know, twenty thousand mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Did you notice there was one pod on that ship that was empty? Yeah. Yeah, Appar- I did. Oh. Uh, Superman's distant cousin and ancestor Kara Zor-El who is also Supergirl who piloted that ship and she is possibly the one missing person from that pod ah. I've just got a quick question about that because sometimes I could be stupid right, Okay, so that ship which is essentially Superman's Fortress of Solitude in the art isn't it, that, yeah. it, that's, it yeah. that's the subject yeah. right, Okay, and that was a scout ship sent 18,000 years in the past yeah Okay, right. What is what? How, how is Superman's costume on that ship? That's what I couldn't work out. Uh, it's a family family costume, isn't it? It's that. I know, but for you know to stick that on, but on, what? Just stick a costume for him on a scout ship, uh, and and eighteen thousand. Could have been. It could have been anybody's. Maybe it was. Super- but it's, it's got the uh, the house of uh, yeah. L. But if, if Caro was on it, if his, yeah, his cousin okay. was on it, it could have just been their family. Maybe it was Supergirl's outfit and he was dressed as a girl for the whole <laughs> That'd be brilliant, <laughs> that would be brilliant. Yeah, that would be great. That's um, a bong the, on the outside of his costume. Yeah, okay, now actually... That that whole Supergirl thing now actually makes more sense. It's one of those... that If, if, if someone from his ancestry was piloting that ship that starts to make a little bit more sense. What I did find a bit weird is that um, the backwards compatibility of that command module, being able to work in a ship that's 18,000 years old, you know, it didn't even have to run updates or anything well, like that. Essential... I, was, I was impressed by that technology. It's not necessarily his ancestors, either, is it? It's, it's you know, yeah. it could have just been his cousin who was a bit yeah. older than him, but, you know, because, you know, time travel. 
Yeah. Space oh, travel yeah. sure work and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they can explain all that. Okay, what other Easter eggs did you uh, see? This one's got 10, like I said, some are a little bit yeah. tenuous. Um, yeah. Apparently, the, the main bad girl who was Zod's companion is mm. some mental woman from the comics, stuff like that. Uh, Lara Lang was in there briefly. Yeah. Uh, on the on the bus that he saved from sinking the school bus, um, and uh, the matey from the West Wing, his character is uh, apparently sort of a, a big in the comic. Yeah. World, is is quite a big um, man. It's something called Star Labs, where Superman gets loads of technology and um, has got you know ties to the Justice League and Teen Titans and mm. this kind of stuff. So. Apparently that you know they were saying that he he's sort of linked to the whole wider uh, Justice League DC universe. I read that I read that out on a Den of Geek um, post written by I think it was Seb Patrick yeah. who I think I've crossed paths with on the Football Three Six Five forum before actually when I had an argument with someone over whether or not Home Alone. Uh, was a Christmas film or not? <laughs> Intra- anyway, uh, and he supported me, but um, yeah, he because uh, he's a I follow him on Twitter and he's a huge fan. He's a huge kind of comic book nerd, um, and um, but he was talking about it was a waste of Richard Schiff and it was a waste of that character to have him do that because yeah, it it, it was nothing at all like the character in the comic books. But maybe they'll expand it. Mm. Uh, in the future but he did just seem like generic government scientist for this film and it seemed a bit of a shame if he was meant to be someone more important than that i just thought toby ziegler had an interesting promotion yeah no i like it yeah so i love seeing uh west wing uh actors in films always fills me with joy and the the general um who was in charge there was in joss Whedon's dollhouse as well and i love seeing people from joss Whedon stuff turn up in big yeah he's been in lots of i think he was in uh true blood i saw him in true blood okay i think he might have been in prison break and other lots of those like tv series okay yeah yeah. no um uh yeah so oh no thanks for that steve um Spoiler alert then, in terms of the, actually the film, and I pro- can probably talk about a few of my... I, I want to expand a little bit on that collateral damage um, conversation we had beforehand, mm-hmm. um, because it is something that a lot of people... It has been a real sticking point, I think, for a lot of people, and it has been one of the sticks that people have used to beat this film if they didn't enjoy the film, is um, that it seemed to me that the complete utter destruction of a city that was going on as Superman and Zod threw themselves through petrol stations and buildings and stuff like that there seemed to be a sense that no one no one really cared i.e. the protagonists or even the filmmakers of all the thousands of innocent people who could well be being killed here and that that felt a little bit un-Superman yeah I mean at the time, I didn't really... I, I just watched it and thought, well, you've seen people evacuating the city. Lots yeah. of people evacuating Metropolis. Um, okay, there were some people who were still around for some reason at the Daily Planet. They don't leave until the very last minute, <laughs> until they yeah. see buildings toppling, and then Lawrence Fishman turns around and says, okay, let's go. Um, fuck that, I think I would have gone long before I waited for my boss yeah. to say you can leave. <laughs> Haven't all these buildings in America like got underground bomb shelter kind of things? I would have thought, like, oh, just get down there, let's get underground. 
Let's get in the sub weight now. I think it's a bit difficult to retroactively fit those kind of shelters because uh, uh, the whole thing is this is this film is a product of um, 9/11 mm. uh, and every comic book adaptation it seems since 9/11 has felt compelled to use a lot of this kind of imagery and I think this film went a lot further than some other films in that you actually had planes crashing into skyscrapers uh, in this film and people covered in dust being helped out of rubble and that was I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily I'm not going to criticise the film for that but I do think it is something that has crept into Hollywood over the last 10 years and I do find it a little bit a little bit tiring now to be honest um, and we already we've already agreed the fight is far too long and it and parts of it seem to be destruction porn at some point it's like, look at all this stuff getting smashed up and I lost that human connection yeah I, um, just with that fight thing I, I need to pick a bone with you over that yeah. because you compared okay. it to Transformers I thought that I, that really oh, how could you say that seriously it's simply because at times I didn't know what was going on. Maybe it's but, just because I'm getting old. But I got that same feeling of um, CGI things going through buildings over, over and over again. It's kind of indiscriminate destruction. I didn't. But it was so. It was shot so much more slick than your generic Transformers film. In Transformers, yeah, that, you, you get big metal things, and you re- literally cannot work it. What's happening in there? Yeah, yeah. That, maybe I was a bit harsh. <laughs> I was probably a bit, okay. I'd, I'd probably describe it more like um, the Amazing Spider-Man or like the Incredible Hulk, um, which I think both suffered from similar problems of a huge climactic fight um, where pretty much everything is complete CGI. And I'm not complaining about CGI. I'm not one of those people. But um, if it goes on for too long, I, I just tune out. It becomes it becomes white noise to me. Um, but do you think that's a problem specifically to Man of Steel, or just could be applied no, no, to no, any? No, 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 no. It could be applied to a lot of them. But what I do, what I would say is, when I compare it to the Avengers, which I really enjoyed last year, that had pretty much an hour climactic battle where a city got utterly demolished. Um, but even during that time, there were moments of quiet, there were moments of lightness, and there were moments where you, to me, I felt for the peril of the citizens of that city, and I didn't get that in Man of Steel. And it, Man of Steel is far from alone in that. But what I would say is, if you if you've got people of the caliber of um, Christopher Nolan, Zack Snyder, who, both of whose work I really enjoy, pretty much on the whole, um, you know, Sucker Punch Apart with Zack Snyder, really enjoy his work, really enjoy Nolan. When you've got people like that involved. And something like Avengers has set a benchmark. I want to see films trying to... Uh, and they obviously did try to hit that benchmark. But for me, it just wasn't good enough considering talent involved. Um, you know, it, it, And if, if I start to look at the film as... If I start to compare it to things like, say, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, it's, it is better than The Incredible Hulk, I think. Um but I don't think it's I don't think it's enough better than it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm 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 holding it to a higher standard basically, and uh, I'm holding it to a higher standard because of the people involved and because you know I've really enjoyed Superman films growing up, so I'm holding it. I want it to be better, uh, and I expect it to be better than it is. That's that's my main problem. But you know, 
a lot of that is about my expectations. Um, Which, as I said, I, I think it's fair to judge a film on whether um, you like it or not based on what you expected yeah. of it. Or what yeah. you what not necessarily expected, but what you you wanted, what you wanted from it, and that that's a that's a human uh, reaction. Exactly. And you're right. Just calling it a shit film because but, it wasn't what you wanted is wrong. It's, yeah, uh, that's annoying me a little bit. Um, but yeah, and, and but the most human part actually was the very end of the film where, and it was a very un-Superman thing to do. But I didn't necessarily um, think of it that way. Uh, was when Zod's threatening to kill four people, essentially, with his laser vision, and Superman snaps uh, it snaps his neck. Yeah. Uh, that in itself was very un-Superman, but I, I had no problem with that. And in fact, that to me was... At, that brought to an end an hour of a headache in a much better way, because that was me seeing Superman, seeing four single humans potentially going to die, and he made a decision. As, you know remembering he is a young kind of he's literally only just become superman he's not the superman that we've seen necessarily in other films and he makes quite a, yeah, a very difficult decision to kill one of his kind to save yeah. four human beings that to me actually i i was happy with that i know a lot of people said that was very on superman that you know he would have found some way to save them but not kill zod at the same time um but i i actually had that was what was missing in the hour before, for me. Yeah, as we sort of talked about earlier, you know, it, there, there wasn't an awful lot of time to give to mm. Superman being Superman, and for mm. people to come to accept him as this superhero, um, it, it, it's a it's a it's a weird way to end the film as well, because uh, mm. it it leaves it quite open. There's a, there's, there's a comic, okay, where um, Wonder <laughs> Woman she snaps this guy Maxwell Lord's neck because. In doing so, it prevents Maxwell Lord basically revealing lots of stuff about Superman, his identity, and he's going to change the world, and so on and so on. Right. So Wonder Woman has to snap his neck. In in the comic, it's a way of showing that the, that these superheroes are gods and that humans can be their playthings if they so mm. choose. Uh, in, do, in, in swapping that around in the film, I think it's very clever in showing that he's... He thinks of himself as more human. So in, mm. if we think about a sequel, how it's going to change what that story is, mm. is it going to be that no humans are going to um, accept him because of his actions and sort of killing one of his own, so to speak, and that yeah. makes him more human to them? Or are they just going to see him as one of those alien people who came and tried to take over the world? Um yeah, that, so, that I think I, I really do think this is one of those films where the second one will actually have a big impact, like you say, on how the first one, the first one's legacy. Yeah. Because uh, if they do it right, then the first one makes more sense. That's great. Because one other thing that I've got a real, I've got a real issue with at the moment because I'm not sure how it's going to work is the fact that um, basically Lois Lane knows that Clark is Superman mm. from in this universe from the get go. Yeah, and that is a completely different dynamic. Uh, and again, like I said, I'm not saying that's bad because it's different, but for me, it makes me uncomfortable. But simply because I don't know how that's going to work, and it also does mean somehow Clark Kent got a job at a newspaper without any experience. Start me on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just said that to rile Steve up a second. Um, it's not fair. 
in the comics, does Lawrence Fishburne know he's Superman from the get-go? No. No. So no, exactly. no. In fact, he, he never knows. Does yeah. Well, he might in later well, issues at some point. I don't know. But from from how I understand it, the only person who really ever kind of even suspects it is Lois. Um, but she doesn't know. Um, yeah, it's. I know. I know. I, yeah, there's a, there will be a load of different stories and narratives um, where maybe other people do know and stuff like that. I don't know about. It, and I'm kind of mainly talking about the yeah. I mean, the cinematic I think we're safer universe. if we stick to what's in the cinematic yeah. universe or yeah. you know what's popular. Exactly. TV uh, um, what do we think of um, Jonathan Kent's death in this film? A bit bit different to traditionally previously how he's he's died. Um, you know, in in a in a sense, he died before through heart attacks and things where Superman, uh, Clark can't stop it, rather yeah. than this time where he's more told not to. And it just seemed a bit stupid because, you know, he wanted to go and go back and save the dog. Both of them did, and I've got no problem with saving a dog's life. <laughs> but it's just kind of like his dad stopping him, saying no, because people will find out who you are. No, like I could I could save this dog. And run back to the underpass without people knowing that I've got superpowers. Just oh. thinking, oh, he's, he's young. And a bit <laughs> I can hear Owen yeah. just really desperate to get in it. I'm going to let Owen go because I, I think I might end up agreeing with Owen here. I've got, yeah, I'll I have see. got a rebuttal to this, and that is that basically you see um, Jonathan Kent. He tells Clark to get his mom to safety. That becomes yeah. the priority. I yeah. think the the fact that it's Clark's job to protect his mom. His mum yeah, could have got there on her own. <laughs> but if your Jonathan son is Superman, that. if you're if um, you're Jonathan Kent and your son can do what he what Clark can do, you, you send him Superman with you. to look after the mum. Exactly. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. I that was actually the scene. I was, that was one of my favourite scenes of the film. Yes, um, yeah. was that, that that was where the film actually got genuinely emotional. Um, I thought again, Kevin Costner just played that beautifully subtly. Yeah. Um, Really nicely done. My, but then I've got a caveat going. I'm thinking that is also a huge change in the dynamic because before, you know, in the Superman ethos, um, he has there is no way he could have saved his father, and so he's learned that he cannot save everyone. Um, that yeah, that's one way he learns that no matter what he does, he can't save everyone, and yeah. that's you know always going to be a conflict in him. This is now a Superman who could have saved his dad, and how is that going to play out in the future? And and my my only worry is that's going to cause more brooding emo, bloody oh, well, I think oh it, but I could have saved that. Like I say, it could be dealt with well, and if it is, brilliant because I thought it was I thought it was a a lovely scene in the film. Thought it was a touching scene. Again, my my worries are that. They have changed a lot. You know, they've not just changed one or two things. They've changed, and they didn't use John Williams' uh, Superman March, <laughs> which genuinely disappointed me because it was only when I watched Superman Returns and you get that blast of music and seeing Superman in a blue blur flying along, and, just, and it just oh, it immediately pumped me up, uh, and I was a little bit sad that that, and and I, I I'm probably being cruel, uh, not cruel. I'm probably being uh, something disingenuous here i'm probably being very disingenuous but at times it felt like um david escoyer and christopher nolan uh, and to a lesser extent Zack snyder were kind of going 
yeah, there's all that Superman, but we know a better way of doing it. That, that it parts of it came across to me as we're leaving this out because we know better. Um, and maybe that's completely wrong. Um, but maybe I, it's I right. got a li- and maybe it's right because they are all quite, e- you know, they've all got big egos for quite big reasons. They do a job that they love for a lot of money and people think they're some of the best people in the world at it. You can kind of imagine why they might get a sense of arrogance about it. But I did get a little bit of that sense of arrogance. Whereas I suppose um, Brian Singer's Superman Returns was far too much the other way, um, saying I'm going to stay completely true to this original idea. I, yeah, that's, I don't know. That's I, the I, problem. I mean, Singer's film was basically Superman 5, wasn't it? Yeah. Superman Returns. Yeah. Super- or Superman 3 Redux. Well, yeah, 3 Redux. <laughs> Whereas Man of Steel is... It, it's not any part of that universe. It's not any part of the comic universe, really. It's just the story of an alien landed on Earth with superpowers, and he happens to end up being called Superman. Um, you know, that... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think how <laughs> I can address the points you've just risen and not sound so defensive about it. Go ahead. Um, no, it's fine. No, I I know that 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 was quite a provocative thing to say in a set. You know, and, and, and I'm, it might be true, it might not be true. But part of me thinks that imagine if they did a you know we had a new Bond film and he didn't drink and he didn't womanize um, and actually he worked behind a desk. But they still called him James Bond 007. We we go well. You 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 know you've changed that far too much. I'm not saying that's quite an extreme example, but I do think they have changed a lot of what a lot of people will regard as that's what actually makes him Superman. And so if they don't hit it out of the park, you are going to get this kind of reaction. Yeah, it was always going to get that reaction unless they basically just remade either um, the original Superman film mm. or if they just remade uh, or, or, or adapted a comic panel for panel yeah. like he did with Watchmen. Basically, Watchmen yeah. is a panel for panel adaptation of the comic uh, with a slightly altered ending and other mm. sort of little yeah. aspects throughout. That got a lot of flack. For, they, he took a lot of criticism for doing that. People said he mm. wasn't very creative, it wasn't very inventive and he just you know basically copied someone else's work and mm. put it on screen. Man of Steel, he's done the complete opposite in that he's basically created his yeah. own version of a yeah. Superman character and his his own story, uh, and he seems to be getting flack for that as well. So I don't think he's there is a way he's, to it, win. To be fair, Snyder is a filmmaker that gets a lot of flack, and I think a lot of it unfairly as well. And I think it is important to remember, actually, as it said at the beginning, the story was by... Uh, David S. Goyer and Christopher Nolan and the script was by David S. Goyer and obviously Snyder will have had some input into that but this story this idea of Superman is definitely from the brains of Goyer and Nolan um, but there's a way to p- present it, isn't there? I mean, you, you, you oh, could yeah, oh yeah, no, totally, yeah. You know, he could have made him more recognisable as a traditional superhero uh, yeah, or Superman no, archetype, you know? Yeah, but no, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, but what? Yeah, and we had this conversation online earlier, where I, yeah, and it was a genuine question for me because I don't know the answer. But I know that the Dark Knight trilogy had a you know a lot of its themes and some of its storylines were taken from classic Batman comics, um, and Nolan often talked about the comics that influenced him. 
Whereas there hasn't been a huge amount of talk of the comics or the storylines that influence them on this. And it is, it, I think it's more general yeah, ha- because yeah. Snyder, Snyder is a self-confessed sort of comic book geek, isn't he? I mean, he's read yeah. lots of comics and he, yeah. he's adapted three of them to films already. So yeah. I think he's, um, he's not necessarily taken one particular story or he's, you know, he hasn't looked at, I don't know, he hasn't read Superman last son and thought right i need this story to be uh my film and i want to take this yeah. aspect out of it and put that in there he's he's just a comic book fan he's mm-hmm. read a lot of superman he knows what he well he thinks he knows what superman's about so he's made his own superman film it's i don't think it's the same as nolan reading up on the long halloween and dark knight returns and going that's a really good story i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure that we start with that and then by the final yeah. film we're, we're into stuff about nightfall and that's going to be our yeah. story. It, it, it's it is a very different it's a different approach, approach. Yeah. and I, yeah. I think it's i can understand why there are lots of comparisons being drawn between man of steel and other superman film uh, other superhero films particularly the the Batman films because they're also DC and the Nolan connections and so on, um, but maybe some of them a bit unfair. I think it's 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 a very different type of film. Uh, you know, fundamentally it's it's a comic book adaptation, but it, it it's um it's not the same thing. It's 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 mm-hmm. new and different and qu- quite a brave thing to do to ma- to make Man of Steel. You know, it could have just relied on old stories. He could have just picked up. There were, you know, years. It's what is seventy-five years worth of Superman mm-hmm. stories. He could yeah. have just picked up, and instead, he's basically said, "Well, here's a new one," and I, I appreciate that. I think it's you know a, a new one in the sense that yeah, okay, he's taken the origin story and he's taken the stuff about General yeah. Zod, but it's it's his story. I think that's the the, the, the difference. It's it's Goya's story. It's Nolan's story and and it is I think Snyder's story as well. So basically, yeah, I mean, th- there are aspects of it that I don't like. It's not a perfect film. I think stuff around, like we mentioned, the dialogue. There are times mm-hmm. when it is utterly cringeworthy. I know when we had our conversation uh-huh. earlier between him and Lois, I just sat there but, thinking, who who said who? Okay, the line that? about first kisses. Yeah. Um, aren't meant to be that good or something or oh well you know it's the first time you've kissed an alien or something like that that would that to me was as bad as um is it raining i hadn't noticed in four weddings that that <laughs> that line actually made me physically it, angry. I, I just sat there thinking why why how, how has that got through goodness knows how many read through you know that and it, it was it was little moments like that that added up to my annoyance yeah. with the film uh, and yeah you're right the dialogue is terrible um, it is. and i mean it's so for someone who earns so much to write dialogue it's it's shocking maybe it's in the performance then i mean i don't i don't really i've only seen one henry cavill film i know he's quite popular because of, he was in the, the tudors wasn't he was it the tudors or he was and he was in um the immortals and the immortals recently. yeah the only film of his I've seen is uh, Cold Light of Day with Bruce Willis. He <laughs> that whole film stinks, but particularly yeah. um, Cavill and and, and mm. Willis and that they're just not very good at all. But he was good in this he as was. Clark, and he was good as Superman, and Amy Adams has been good in things before. And to be honest, like I say, I I, I just think uh, to me I felt it was just paper thin characterisation and. 
and they were using shortcuts there to go, look, that's Lois Lane, so clearly they've got a connection without actually remembering to write in the yep. connection. Yep. That, to me, felt felt like a weakness of the film. Um, but, yeah, yeah, like I say, it's... It's it's definitely a mixed bag, um, and and uh, do you know what? I hate being right, but um, <laughs> but back in the summer preview, I did say this would be my. I thought I had a horrible feeling this might be my disappointment of the summer, and and so far, it has been, and that's a shame because I didn't want to be right, honestly. <laughs> I think I'm... I like to be told I'm right, but in this case, I genuinely wanted to be wrong because I'm such a fan of everyone involved in the film, but it it just didn't do it for me. Well, I think that's a, as good a place as any to leave it on a negative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, we've already told you what we'll be doing next week. So join us then for lots of zombie-related chat. The Fail Critics Podcast was devised and produced by James Diamond, hosted by Steve Norman with contributions from Owen Hughes and Jerry McCauley. Music is provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com and you can find us at failedcritics.com and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.